the blast from our past network. Hi, all. Well, this is the composer, Richard Band. You might have heard music from a few of my films, like Reanimator and uh, From Beyond and Terrorvision. But right now, you're listening to Podcasting After Dark, a killer, killer show. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Dreamscape, starring Dennis Quaid, Kate Capshaw, and David Patrick Kelly. Welcome to another nightmare-inducing episode of Podcasting After Dark. I'm one half of the gorgeous ladies... Oh, sorry, other... <laughs> I'm one half of the gorgeous duo team. It's me, Zach. I'm running the show this week, and uh, joining me, as always, my beautiful blonde baby, <laughs> Corey Stevenson. What's up, dude? <laughs> I don't know why it's turned into a... I don't 80s care. wrestling show. But. Oh, I love it. My beautiful blonde baby. <laughs> My beautiful oh, what's up, buddy? Baby. How are you doing tonight? <laughs> I'm doing fantastic. I can't wait to break down uh, this week's pick. Mm. Um, I mean, I've got a lot of thoughts. Got a lot of thoughts. Yeah, this, buddy. This is, this is uh, we're, today we're talking about 1984's Dreamscape. This is a long one coming, man. This is I've been hearing about this one for a while. I've I have my own um, connections to this movie. This is actually one of my traumatic experiences, even though I, I didn't, you know, uh, suggest it. Um, and as as per usual, I'll just dive into to where I know the movie from because you'll you'll be a little bit more in depth on yours. Please, yeah. I've seen this movie as a kid, probably at the inappropriate age of like seven or something, because it came out in '84, yeah. and it scared the living fuck out of me absolutely terrifying and now i think a lot of that has to do with the inaccurate cover poster while amazing the drew struzan art is always amazing but the poster made it look like more of an adventure film than a (laughs) i mean thriller thriller horror it all sci-fi adventure you know it is have does have adventure elements to it but Boy, oh boy, does does Dennis Quaid look happy on that cover? And and it is not uh, a very happy movie. It has some very dark, dark elements in it. And uh, yeah, so I always kind of felt betrayed by the poster, I think, uh, for Rightfully this movie. So. Yeah. And uh, scared the shit out of me, man. And uh, not going to lie, I've, I've seen it twice in two days, and both of those viewings were just as terrifying. <laughs> Well, I will concur with you. Uh, I think that poster took a lot of shit for when it came out because it, it looks like an Indiana Jones ripoff. Uh, and it's anything but this film is anything but an Indiana Jones adventure in good ways and, and maybe not so in other ways. But whatever. Uh, yeah. I mean, I saw it as a kid. I don't think I saw it in the theater. I definitely saw it on VHS multiple times and multiple nightmare-induced <laughs> scenes. Um, quite possibly the most terrifying performance by one of the lead actors in the film, um, rightfully so. And the guy gave me nightmares for many years. Are you talking to about follow? Are you talking about uh, uh, David Patrick Kelly? 
I'm talking about David Patrick Kelly. Yeah. Tommy, oh. uh, you know, I'll break down who all who everybody is in a second. But uh, yeah, dude, talk about a tour de force, if you will. Um, Man. I chose this movie specifically because I kind of didn't cave to the hype, but I, a lot of people had, I think, brought it up on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, Diallo, I think, at one point had might have brought it up. You brought it up at one point, and I thought, no, we are get, definitely going to get to this film. And I just kind of shotgunned it to the top because I thought, you know what? No, we we got to do this. Yeah. So uh, I knew that Dreamscape got a deluxe edition, special edition via Shout Factory, and that's the version we're going to be doing today. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the uh, old DVD from Image, which I wish we would have because I believe that was the uncut version. Okay, uh, so according to IMDb, the Image version is the cut version. So... So, all right, let's, 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 what are we talking about, guys? Um, they're the sex scene between Kate, Kate Capshaw and uh, Dennis Quaid on, in her dreams, the problematic, the most problematic scene in the movie, by the way. We'll, we'll talk about that in depth yeah. when we get there. Yep. Um, so apparently, the, the, the theatrical release was a bit more uh, risque and, and sexy. And then they noted that the image DVD release uh, was they used a TV cut of the sex scene. Um, but the, the VHS release was the proper one. So I was wondering, I was going to ask you which version we got, but it seems like you might be a little bit uh, confused. Like we're all confused here. You know what I mean? What? I, well, actually, I'm, I'm talking about two scenes in particular. Okay. That scene and then another scene with a married couple earlier in the movie oh. uh, was heavily edited as well. Okay, so, okay. in fact, it, it's a little frustrating. Got to take a little, little, little uh, dig at Shout Factory for a second because though it's not about the fact that there is or isn't a sex scene in this movie, I, I could care less what it is. I take umbrage with the fact that I don't like movies modified. Yes. Right. Yeah. And 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 that scene is clearly modified. We'll we'll go we'll go more detail when we get to it. Okay. But it's just it's very frustrating. I was like, wait a minute. And I thought I had the image disc. Uh, I don't have it anymore, which is a real big bummer. So you can't compare it. Oh man. Okay. The whole time that I was reading that little factoid, I thought yeah. they were referring to the Kate Capshaw scene, but I know what you mean. It's the dream husband scene when the camera pans over and then some for some reason zooms up to the to the ceiling uh, when it pans over yes. to to land yes. on her head when you can clearly tell. It wasn't meant to do that, and now I'm annoyed too because that means we got the the neutered version uh, moving forward. Yeah, and I'm not, you know, but this is this is a this is a this is one sticking point I feel as a fan of film yeah. that I just I just don't like my shit messed with. Yeah, you don't put hair on the back of Daryl Hannah's butt and splash, mm-hmm. and you don't um, you know do a CG version of. Job of the Hut in Star Wars. Yeah. It's just like, don't go there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, th- this is the reason that you and I have talked plenty of times, both online and offline, about how we've gotten so back into movie collecting because we're also we're so sick of the cancel culture on streaming. You know, like yeah. they'll take full episodes away from shows that they don't, you know, agree with, uh, you know, or whatever they think is problematic. And yeah, I, I-, I hate that shit. But okay, I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed uh, in-, in Shout Factor 
factory, but okay, we'll we'll talk about that when we get there. Uh, another we'll get to, yeah. another thing that I wanted to nice little factoid I wanted to bring up before we we jumped in. Um, apparently, this is officially the second PG thirteen movie ever released, um, and and I didn't know that Red Dawn was the first one. I didn't know that Red Dawn was the first one either until earlier this year um, when I when I had watched rewatched it. And yeah, I, I, I did. I thought I was certain that young Sherlock Holmes was the first PG 13. That just, I think was probably the first PG 13 film I remember seeing in the theater. Right. But yeah. Red Dawn being the first piece clearly should be an R rated movie. <laughs> it I, really should. Dude. I know you straight up see kids get like executed even in yeah. the first five minutes. <laughs> Obviously we're not breaking down Red Dawn, but I'll tell you one day we will, by the way, one day mm-hmm. we absolutely will. Cause you and I both love that movie. Um, and, and now, cause before we were like, Oh, we're only going to do rated R movies. Now we're like, eh, we're just going to do cult movies. We don't care if it's PG, PG 13 or R. But in Red Dawn, I was always freaked out by that opening scene when the teacher gets gunned down, um, and not so much by the teacher getting gunned down, but when they pan back to the school, you saw like people, like kids, got shot through the windows too. Yeah, and I was like, yeah. "Fuck!" And it's PG thirteen, the eighties yeah. yeah. guys, the eighties. And I, I honestly, to be honest with you, I one of the reasons I selected this movie was because of the scene with the husband and wife, and and how hilarious it is, and that it's. At the time, I was like, this is a PG-13 movie because that's the only version I've ever seen in my entire life. I've never seen this version ever in my entire life. So that was very disappointing. Um, and, and However, so that's that's where it gets a knock. But we'll get into the rest of it and break yeah. it down and all that good shit. Yeah, and, um, and before, before yeah. we do, another thing I just wanted to say to, I guess, offset that knock. Um, you know, I have the same disc you, did, uh, you do because you, you sent it to me. Um, yep. the, the documentary on there, at least the one that I watched that was like an hour long, it was very good, very in-depth, yes. very insightful. They talked to a lot of the special effects people uh, and the director, the writer. It was it was a damn good documentary one of the best ones that i've seen on 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 shout factory put out uh for a movie that i probably would never have watched a making of you know had i not had the time today and it's like ah, eh, i'm just gonna you know dive into it I, I mean i always try to for these movies but you know i don't it's it's always sort of the last thing that, that i'll put off um yeah. but i i highly recommend it if you're a fan of this movie it's a great documentary yeah, I love that they did a docu on this, you know, and it wasn't just a trailer or whatever. Yeah, uh, because I think it it deserves it. I think this movie is definitely a cult classic. This movie definitely deserves a lot more recognition than it's gotten over the years, and I love that we're doing it. So I me can't too. wait to break it down. I, I, um, I as much as it terrified me, uh, I am absolutely ecstatic that we are doing this movie. Awesome. Well, let's let's just jump into this shit. <laughs> Speaking of directors, like you said, the uh, with the director on the supplemental material. Joseph Rubin is the director of 1984's Dreamscape. He also directed uh, quite a few fine thrillers. The Stepfather, 1987. Mm-hmm. Sleeping with the Enemy, a very good underrated thriller. It is. Emily Curtis. I saw it. Um, uh, uh, no, uh, Julia Roberts. Um, oh, sorry, Julia Roberts. Yep. <laughs> I, I saw it in the theater with my dad. My, my dad used to take me to a lot of thrillers back in the early 90s, and that's how I—, I Weirdly saw um, single white female with him in the theater and and uh, hand that rocks the cradle. And, you know, when you're like 12 or 13 and you're sitting right next to your dad, but at the same time, you're, you know, enjoying what's going on in, in, uh, on the screen. It makes Rebecca for a, Mornay, uh, yeah, it makes for a very uncomfortable and awkward and weird viewing experience for sure. Hence podcasting after dark. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Um, did he take you to see The Good Son? Because Joseph Rubin also did The Good Son. No, he did not. Uh, my dad did never swung towards horror. My, actually, actually, I'll say this, uh, uh, and this pertains to this movie. My dad doesn't like to watch horror movies because he has nightmares over them. He dreams a lot. He's a he's a dreamer. Perfect uh, segue to the movie we're, mm-hmm. we're doing then, you know, right? So, yeah, by the way, Good Son was, was Macaulay Culkin's attempt at trying to be more edgy. Because he wanted to skew away from the, uh, rightfully so, oh, yeah. from Home Alone. and I've actually seen know, it. I have, Even though he didn't take me to see it in the theater, I've actually seen it. Like I, yeah, it was, yeah I, I didn't hate yeah. it. I was like, yeah, that was fun. Never, like, one of those movies where enjoyed it at the time, never felt the need to rewatch it. Yeah, Stepfather may show up on our, if we ever do a Father's Day version of Podcasting After Dark. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, this movie was written by... David has three writers, but David Lowry was, I think he's the, the main one responsible for it. And uh, he wrote, I'll just throw out one. He wrote Passenger 57, and I love that movie. Yeah. It's just good. Uh, Chuck Russell uh, helped out in the screenplay. Chuck Russell directed The Blob, one of the best remakes of all time, yeah. horror-wise. Yep. Uh, he did A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, one of the best Nightmare on Elm Street movies of all time. Yep. I would say number two behind the first one. Uh, he directed Eraser, not one of the best Arnold Schwarzenegger movies of all time. However, it's decent. And he directed The Mask, not Mask with uh, Eric Stoltz and Cher, but Mask with Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. Sorry about that. <laughs> I'll, I'll trim that down. <laughs> Brain fart. <laughs> Thank you. And then Joseph Rubin also had a hand on the on the screenplay as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so I think um, it was it was a very from my understanding of the documentary it was a very much a combined effort between the three of them. Uh, and Chuck um, was I think mostly like a producer on it. But yeah, they they all kind of uh, uh, wrote it together. It was very collaborative, um, and it was very like even because a lot of times you always hear that the writer just kind of gets shafted and they make the movie and they make the changes. But um, the director brought the writer in. They actually created a very good working relationship and worked on a lot of movies together after this. So, um, yeah, it it seemed like it was a very collaborative movie uh, to work on. Yeah, it it, it feels that way throughout the whole film. Mm -hmm. It seems like everyone's having a good time. I'm also going to point out um, the composer of this film, Maurice Jarre. I think that's how I'm saying his name correctly. And I apologize if I'm not. Uh, The guy did the music for Lawrence of Arabia. Dr. Zhivago, uh, and then Ghost and Witness. So clearly a phenomenal uh, music composer to add to this film. Uh, and I'm just going to point out, because it, it's worth noting, the makeup effects are by Greg Canham, who and who worked on Dracula, uh, the 1992 Francis Ford Coppola film, and The Mask. Obviously, there's a connection there. Um, I mean, that's pretty badass. And we'll talk about the special effects as we go on because that's a huge component to this film. Yeah. But I'll just jump into the cast. Oh, uh, uh, you mean you mean the insanely star-studded, packed cast? Like down to down to minor supporting yeah. characters, and you're like, oh, that yeah. guy? Yeah. And oh, we'll talk yeah. about who that guy is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're gonna talk about that guy <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but yeah, dude, this this cast is fucking bananas for a low budget film like like this yes. was technically like a low budget film i think the the budget was like six mil but it made like 12 mil which is not bad but like it's technically a low budget film and it's insane i'm totally okay if they remade this movie by the way I'm uh totally okay yeah but that. i actually had the exact same thought but i this one and i know i've said it before but i think this one of all the ones i've said 
is the best for it. I think this should be an HBO miniseries, like a 12-episode yes. series, because I wanted to know more about Tommy Ray, like his back. Like you could yes. do, like, it could be one of those shows where you do one full episode on, like, Tommy Ray's Each backstory, character. you know, type of shit, you know? Yeah. But yeah, there was so much more that I wanted out of this. But at the same time, I mean, don't take that as, as I was disappointed at all, you know? Like, no, but I, I, I felt like it was a fertile yeah. ground to grow from. I, what I'm saying is, like, you know, John Carpenter doing a, a remake. This, this someone could do a really sweet remake of this film, uh, which would be pretty badass. But just from top to bottom, I'm not going to go through everybody. I'm just going to hit some of the major known, some of the major names we're familiar with. Dennis Quaid plays Alex Gardner, the lead. You don't know if you don't know who Dennis Quaid is. Uh, don't look up anything recently. Just look, watch Inner Space, Inner Space, Inner Space. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> and and, and if you're Tim from Talking Back, then he would probably add Jaws three as well because he loves that movie. <laughs> I love Jaws three too. I think it's a fun movie. I think yeah. Jaws three is fun to be honest with you. And that was Jaws actually 3. a movie I saw in the theater as well with my dad. Me too. I, I didn't see with my I saw it with my brother, but yeah, definitely saw that in the theater as well. He was in a movie called Switchback that came out in the '90s with Danny Glover and Jared Leto. Uh, good like seven esque thriller uh, set in the wilderness uh, on a well, it's all over the place, but in, in the cold, mm. it's definitely worth checking out. Came out I think the same year Breakdown came out, which is a an amazing uh, Kurt Russell thriller. Okay. okay, so yeah, check out Switchback in my opinion for for good Dennis older Dennis Quaid, um, Max von Sydow. Jesus. Ming the Merciless. I mean, he, yeah, I, I know people would be like, well, he's in a lot more oh. Seven Seal. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he's a he's he's a legend. Yeah. Um, he's Max von Sydow, man. I mean, come on. Yeah. He plays Dr. Paul Novotny. Uh, so I'll, I'll back and forth throughout this episode. I'll be calling him Paul or Novotny. Just, just stay with us, folks. Um, Christopher Plummer. An- another plays- mega, mega name mega name and so as a kid i used to get him confused with christopher lee all the time mm. it's just the fact that they both were christopher uh but christopher Plummer is a if he hasn't won an academy award he's clearly he's at least been nominated for for shit um he's he's a legend watch the insider michael mann movie where he plays mike wallace the reporter for 60 minutes mm-hmm. uh he's just he, he he's he's a phenomenal actor he plays bob blair the head of the cia or a cia uh, representative yeah. um the president the president dude i'm all, i'm just excited because <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, for eddie albert um i, I spent the first viewing because i watched this twice um i spent the first viewing wondering where the fuck i know him from i don't know why i had the phone in front of me didn't check imdb guys i was pretty fucking high the first time but uh, <laughs> i was like i was like why do i know this man and why do i absolutely love him so the second time i watched the movie i i checked imdb and i was like Ah, Green Acres. Green fucking <laughs> Acres. I used to watch that show on Nick at Night. Uh, it was it was in the pantheon of, you know, Mr. Ed, uh, Hogan's yeah. Heroes. It was it was on all of that was so whenever I would stay at my grandpa's house, those were the shows I'd watch at night and I forever Probably because, you know, it's just, uh, that was like, I loved hanging out with my grandpa. So forever, I will always love Mr. Ed, Hogan's Heroes, you know, Green Acres, just that whole era of TV. But I'm just, I was just blown away because the first time I watched it, I was like, 
like, why do I know him and why do I love him? And I don't know why. And then it's, yeah, it's Green Acres. Fuck me, Green Acres. <laughs> I, I was going to say, yeah, Green Acres for sure. You know, he did a he did a episode of Extreme Ghostbusters, too, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, I saw and that. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's neither here nor there. Yeah, if you want, okay, so if you want the polar opposite of Green Acres, then watch The Longest Yard, which is mm. what I, I love him from uh, with Burt Reynolds, where he plays this scumbag of a warden in the film just perfect because he's got such a sweetness about him and then he plays such an evil character in this he plays a sweet character he plays the president yeah yeah not to be confused with anybody currently more (laughs) to the point like a a president we love yeah a president that we yeah anyways yes so yeah there you go uh kate capshaw kate capshaw i mean kate capshaw spielberg yeah i mean kate capshaw at the height of her Okay. Kate Capshawness? <laughs> Kate Capshawness, yes. She plays uh, Dr. Jane DeVries. I'll be going back and forth between Jane and DeVries through this film. I, I, I just called well. her Kate Capshaw in all my notes, so I'll probably just call her Kate. <laughs> okay. And, it, and it's yeah. funny, too, because, I mean, obviously I know who she is. Obviously I've, you know, I've seen Black Rain. I've seen Just Cause. But, uh, you know, I know her as Willie, as Willie Scott from, from Temple of Doom. But so it was nice for of me, like, of me it was nice for me to see her in this role i loved her man i absolutely loved her and i i i just i don't love temple of doom it's it's not my favorite you know for all the same reasons that no one else like it's yeah we all know temple of doom whatever it's no one's favorite but um she's great though she's great in it but i loved her in this yeah yeah she she's uh she's got like a sultriness about her Mm. and it's a very classy sultriness um very unique Mm -hmm. you know she could have been just classified as yet another blonde actress like oh there's a ton of blonde actors no but she's got a unique quality to her where she kind of is like don't give me any shit Mm -hmm. but i love you kind of thing you know um and then i'm the next person playing tommy ray glattman is quite possibly my favorite villain actor of all time He's notorious for playing villains. He rarely plays anything outside of that. David Patrick Kelly, Tommy Ray Glattman, who clearly I know as the leader of the rogues in The Warriors, but also we know him as what, Corey? (laughs) Well, we also know him as Sully from Commando. (laughs) Remember Sully? When I promised I'd kill you last, I lied. (laughs) And I mean, another classic classic role. Another classic role. Another one. But... I guess probably, yeah, the one of the biggest ones is T-Bird from The Crow. One of, he has a way of delivering lines, and he does it in this too. He just has a way of delivering his lines that are so unique, so him, so his own, like, way of style. He's 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 phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And I know you're not a, uh, a huge fan, but he has a fun little it's one of those roles where it's kind of a cameo, but it's a little bigger than that in John Wick. He plays uh, the like the cleanup guy, and it was fun to see him in that. But, yep. dude, he is fucking amazing in this movie and and i've you know i've always liked him i probably you know i liked him as sully but sully's a little bit more goofy you know and then of course t-bird is t-bird is a different kind of of beast than than tommy ray is and it's just also in last man standing last man standing yep another another movie i fucking love dude i love last man standing walter hill uh that's a movie that is on um uh 
on the list of uh, to do, but like it, it's, it comes in a two pack with uh, uh, Last Boy Scout, and I'm just hoping that like I mean, hey, I'm not complaining about Last Boy Scout. I love that movie, but like you know, I, I want it to be. Uh, you just know when it's in a two pack like that, they did nothing to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they it all. So, anyways, I love fucking uh, that movie, Last Man Standing. Fantastic. But um, so seeing David Patrick Kelly in this, I was absolutely riveted because I felt like all of his his stuff that he did in this was so much more subtle than anything else that I've seen him do before like especially when he's in the in the human world you know type of thing but um he brings an intensity to this character that is unbelievable yeah yeah we will as we get as we introduce him mm-hmm. into this breakdown we'll go off even more but just so so damn good so damn good uh i mean if 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 you're if you don't love him in the warriors you'll love him in at least at least one of his roles that he plays because he 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 plays everything so damn good he's such a great villain hopefully we can get him on the show someday because he's also a very talented musician too and a detroit boy so you know back to my roots Mm. um playing charlie prince which is basically a a riff on stephen king yeah uh is george went yeah yeah, nice I mean, seeing uh, Norm. fucking Norm show up in this shit. I was like, all right, yeah. Norm. <laughs> He's in for like five minutes, but, you know, it's all good. Yeah. Um, and then two of the, like, kind of CIA thugs. Finch and Babcock? I, yes, Finch and Babcock, or Babcock and Finch, depending on <laughs> which one you want to go with first. Uh, playing Babcock is Peter Jason. And if you don't know who Peter Jason is, look up any of John Carpenter's movies in the 80s, and he's in every single one of them. They Live, Prince of Darkness. Um, so Peter Jason will forever be, to me, <laughs> in Mortal Kombat, he played a small role as uh, Master Boyd, right? Like, it was it was, well, it was was Shang Tsung in disguise. Um, but... What I always remember about that role is that the movie language, like I was old enough to understand that the movie language was trying to tell me that he was somebody. Like he was somebody that I was supposed to know, the actor, not the character he was playing, just kind of the way they did it. But because I didn't have any clue who he was for a long time. I didn't think he was an actor. I thought he was like an actual, like, I thought that was who he really was, was Master <laughs> Boyd or something. But it's it's such a weird thing because I cued in on everything that the director was trying to tell me. I just didn't get the reference. So I love him. Awesome. I, and, and, you know, having, after Mortal Kombat, you know, I saw him in They Live, you know, when we watched it together. And I'd seen They Live before Mortal Kombat, but it just, I didn't put it together. You know what I mean? Like, I'd seen him before. I just didn't put it together, probably because he, he doesn't, he has like, now he has that white hair, you know, whereas I think back in the 80s, it wasn't as white. But in, in Mortal Kombat, it was, it was like pretty damn white. It's it's always been pretty white. Um, but I've always seen him as kind of like the same kind of lovable hey guy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I, I love him. Now I actually, he he's, you know, even though like my relationship with him started on a weird footing, I've really grown to appreciate him. I liked him in this, even when uh, Dennis Quaid's like, or when Alex is like, you know, do I have anything to worry about or something? He's like, not from us, you don't, you know, like in the car. <laughs> I was like, he just, he delivers his lines so nicely, but you also know that he can, you know, it, it's perfect. That's, that's what you want from the, a perfect character actor like that. Yeah. Yeah. He's a great character actor and his partner, uh, Finch is played by Chris Mulkey, 
And that guy has been in everything too. Just I just watched Runaway the other night with Tom Selleck, and mm. he's in that. Uh, and he's in The Hidden as well. Another great by Jack Shoulder. Yeah, a great, uh, in you know, underrated horror film. And he plays Finch. Um, and I'm just gonna point out two more little side characters because I think they're important to me. Uh, there, at one point, Dennis Quaid get, is is uh, deals with like bookies that want money from him. And there's a big guy in the group, and he play, his character's name is McLaren. Yep. He's pra- played by Brian Libby. And I just re- remember that guy from Shawshank Redemption as one of the prisoners. And just like you see him and you just feel like there's something more to this guy. I really just like his style, his, I, his acting style. I, I When I saw him in, 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 the, in here, I was like, I recognize that guy. But, yeah, I, I didn't kind of get a chance to sort of dig into it. But, yeah, now now that I'm looking at it, yep, I know him. I know him from The Mist, man. I, yeah, he's, oh, that's yeah. who he was in The Mist. That's right. He was one of the guys that almost made it out at the end and he got killed. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. And then um, and then playing the snake man, the, the snake man under under a lot of prosthetic pieces this actor named larry cedar oh and if you look up larry cedar you look at this guy and you're like i know that guy it's that guy from those things and he does that stuff like he's got such a recognizable character actor face larry cedar yeah um you know you just you just know him from he's just he's been in a million different things but i just wanted to give him a little shout out because i think as a snake man he does a really great job yeah no he i, we'll I know to, who he is yeah. i'm looking at his imdb um yep I, I recognize him but yeah he 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 played the snake man so yeah that was cool it's he's he's yeah i know who he is he's he was in community too okay yeah yeah he's got a pretty uh dense resume but. oh shit he's um he's in that new love and monsters movie that everyone is talking about so i'm gonna have to check that one out. i think it's on hulu Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. Noted. Um, and that rounds out the cast of Dreamscape. So without further ado, let's let's get this puppy rolling. Let's let's take some sleeping pills and knock ourselves out. Alex Gardner has a unique talent. And even he doesn't know what it can do. No one has ever done it before. No one has even conceived of doing it before. You're going into another person's dream. You might have to see that to believe it. He is about to enter a world that no one has ever seen before. The world of your dreams. I was under the impression we were conducting scientific research here. You sound as if you don't approve. I can see you're going to be a real challenge to work with. Oh, wait a minute, Doctor. I haven't agreed to anything yet. There's somebody in my dreams. Who? An awful, ugly monster. This kid is being eaten alive and nobody gives a damn. Whatever his demon is, I have to help him face it. There's nobody there. Are you sure, Alex? He's always there. But Alex will make a discovery more frightening than any dream. What's going on? I had to let you know you're in danger. You want my secrets? Just want some advice. I'm afraid he has to be killed. Sign some men to you. I think I should deal with this on my own. And now, his only way out is to go back in to the dreamscape. Dreamscape. 
when you close your eyes, the adventure begins. Zach, before we get into the movie, I, I wanted to mention it earlier, but uh, we'll do it right here. Do you dream? Are, uh, are you a dreamer? Like, do you remember your dreams, I should say? Not only do I dream, when I do write down my dreams, I always feel like they're going to take, I always feel like they're going to be really great movies, like movie ideas, scripts. Um, I, I fantasize like a storyline in my mind that I've done since I was a kid to get myself to fall asleep at night. That's what I do. Okay. Uh, yeah. And I dream heavily. I have very vivid dreams. How about you? Oh, uh, well, you're like my wife. Um, unfortunately, I am not. And, uh, dude, I have never really remembered my dreams. And, you know, this is before I needed, you know, copious amounts of uh, weed to fall asleep. Now, of course, it's it's the weed that that is the reason I don't remember my dreams. But before (laughs) that, I didn't remember them either. I always knew that I dreamed. And sometimes, you know, I'll remember little things here and there. But it is just nano things. Like, I barely remember jack shit. And like I said, that was even before I, I smoked you know, weed on, on the regular. So I got no hope now, no hope to, to remember my dreams at all. Well, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that on one level, on the other level, as a kid, I truly believed. And I think my brother, Eric convinced me of this too. Cause he was like, Oh no, it'll happen. That if you die in your dreams, you die in real life. That was always like a, you know, so if you don't dream, you're good to go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and that old <laughs> wives tale is clearly the uh, basis for this entire film. So God damn, I mean, it was fueled by this movie. This movie fueled it for me as a kid. So, yeah. uh, I mean, I've had, as you know, very well, know, I have many traumas in my life and, uh, another one got brought up today. And then I was like, I've had so many traumas in my life. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so glad I had therapy to deal with those, tra- and I'm so glad I have these podcasts to, to, to deal with my therapy, <laughs> my trauma. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so getting into this, um, you know, the opening logo of the film drops, and it's uh, a Zepnik Curtis Enterprise film, and it's just a cool opening '80s logo. I love the old school. We do, we do, we do, we do. We love, we, we love our openings. Oh, and the only thing I want to say that I learned um, about. Because <laughs> you mentioning the, the the people who created this, um, so one of the people that you just mentioned, one of those names, uh, they were a real estate person in Baltimore, and a lot of this movie was funded by backers from Baltimore. So yay, Baltimore guys! Because oh, I'm cool. I'm from Maryland, guys. So you know, if you don't, if you didn't know, <laughs> that's a cool shout out. Nice, nice. Go uh, go Ravens. Go Ravens. Woo! Uh, they're not in the same league as my Lions, so it's all good. <laughs> they're not, right? I don't. I haven't watched football since like 1989. Yeah, man. I don't know. I don't watch football. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, yeah, opens up on a woman running. No, hold on, hold like on, a- hold on. First note I have is the title is better than Split Second. Oh. <laughs> I just, I just wanted to throw that out there because okay. now everything is based on split second. Like that is our my barometer for how bad titles are. This one better than split second. Well, and and shout quick shout out to Dead Alive, uh, our, our boy Dead Alive on Instagram. If you don't know who he is, check him out. Uh, I, I'm gonna tell. I'm gonna reveal something that that Dead Alive just sent me the other day uh, to Corey later on. Uh, but I just want to say, you know. He loves his split second really a lot. He's just like, <laughs> he loves his split second, don't you, dude? Uh, but anyways, yeah, you're right. The title card for this is is uh, dope. First of all, it's like, it, but again, it kind of doesn't match. Like, it doesn't, it, it's, 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 it's like a kind of a bad Photoshop where they put the, this giant logo on the screen. I'm like, I want to 
haven't done that. I just feel like it, it you know, it's still cool looking. It's still very three dimensional. Yeah. Everything was 3D in the 80s, you know. Yeah. So, um, so it has that kind of 3D look. I feel like this movie. They had wanted this movie to be 3D when it came out. And in fact, it probably could have been 3D with those dream sequences. But, hmm. you know, nevertheless, it wasn't. And thank God it wasn't because it probably would have sucked uh, <laughs> back in the day. Anyways, yes, after that sweet title card, we get into uh, you see a woman running in, in basically what looks like a Holocaust riddled uh, cityscape. It's 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 Term- Terminator 2 after the bomb drops and she's running. And she's calling out, screaming for John, John. And then a big wall of radiation wave just hits her and vaporizes her. And cut to a man waking up screaming, who in fact is the president of the United States. Man, John, John, man, that opening sequence is fucking terrifying. No wonder this movie scared the shit out of me. Now, Here's the thing. We, we, let's talk about the special effects now because the, yeah. the same – I'm going to say – you want to say problem, but here's the thing. The special effects are not great, especially like these dream sequence compositing and everything, which is weird because the guy who worked on them worked on Return of the Jedi. So, you you know, it's probably budgeting or whatever. But yeah. here's the thing. You can see all the different layers. It's not the best compositing we've ever seen in a movie. But for some reason – that adds to for me to the dreamlike quality of the film. Um, I mean, you can see the the bad matting around her hair and everything. Like it yeah. just, it's very bad special effects, and this it's and it's consistent through the out the entire film. But for some reason, it fucking works. Yeah. So I totally agree with you, um, and I feel like. It gets a pass on my the, throughout this film. The special effects get a pass. There's only one scene at the end where I'm like, "Ooh, you obviously skimped on effects with this last scene." Uh, but, but yeah, I totally agree with you. I feel like because it's a dream, it's passable. Like, yeah. you know, because it's all fuzzy. It's supposed to be fuzzy. You it, don't know what clearly is going on. If it was too polished, I might go, "That's eh, a little too good looking." You know? It, yeah, and and the thing is, like the the dream sequence later in the the. The train um, the, with the Kate Capshaw dream sequence, um, yeah. like he shot that like too normal. Whereas the rest of the other dream sequences like look very composited or or you know German expressionism or whatever. But yeah, it's it's like I said, I don't think that that was their intention. Like I guarantee you, they would have wanted the the, the effects to look better, but and, yeah. and they don't age good at all. But for no. some reason. No other movie would this work, but it works here because they're dream sequences, and I actually like them. I like the dream sequences in this movie when they do all the compositing, the bad compositing and everything, because I'm like, okay, it's a dream. I get it now, you know? Um, But yeah, for some reason, this is the only fucking movie that these bad special effects will work with. Yeah, totally. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's still, it's still, like you said, it's still terrifying to this day. Utterly. That, that is, yeah. that is a terrifying dream yeah. to be vaporized by nuclear bomb in your sleep. Yeah. Um, and the president wakes up. It's, it's clearly his wife that he's dreaming about. Uh, and security walks in to check in on him and he lays back in bed. Cut to the next scene. You've got Alex Gardner on a screen looking at a ball and he's moving it with his mind, telekinesis. And you pan away and you see uh, Novotny talking to DeVry. And, uh, you know, he's t- he's basically describing Alex and he's saying, you know, they 
that at the time when Alex was doing this, he caused a lot of controversy because he was a part of their telekinesis program and he was kind of like their hot shot boy and uh, he just split and he took off for after months of intense para psychological training. Uh, he didn't like being poked and prodded. And this is another thing that I feel wouldn't work on on a, with like a lesser writer or a lesser director. But it's it's the it's the fact that like so this movie's about dreams, but you also have to buy the fact that they're also you need to also accept tell like telepathic powers as well. So they could have gone you know just a complete technical way of like jumping into people's dreams technically, but they're like no, you have to be psychic to be able to do it. So like right at the top, they're. The, the, the filmmakers are asking you to first believe in psychic abilities and then after that I believe that a person can jump into another person's dream but and a lot of times you don't want to like explain something supernatural with something else supernatural but again the craftsmanship of this film it works it totally works and and I think because it has such an A-list cast you're like already going okay I buy all this stuff you know because it's it's Von Cito talking to Kate Capshaw and talking about how they how they need to find Alex for their program that they're that they're doing. And they cut to Bob Blair, played by Christopher Plummer. And he's like, you know, he says, oh, we'll find him. You know, we have our ways of finding him or something like that. And again, you've got three A-list actors right there. And you're like, OK, this movie's going to be great because it's got a great cast. Mm-hmm. Um, Back in the day, that actually meant something. Yeah. Nowadays, it's like, oh, we put that on television. Uh, <laughs> from there, we cut to Alex. And now Alex in, like, modern day, he's at the racetrack. Christ, Dennis and... Quaid looks young as fuck. So Dennis Quaid has two things. One, he's always been, like, an incredibly good-looking dude. Two, he's always had this incredible, uh, like, chiseled body. Yeah. He's just like a he's like a yoked dude. I'm like, what does this guy just eat egg whites all day and do push ups? Because I want that workout <laughs> regimen, whatever is keeping him that fit. But we're talking 84. So he's, you know, he's probably in his late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. At this point, uh, you know, because he's been in the movie since the 70s. It did breaking away with Hart Bachner. Uh, check that out. Anyways, because um, it's a really good movie. But he's at the racetrack and he's reading, uh, he's watching the race, he's horse races, and the race that wins high compression is the one that he picked in his winnings. Um, <laughs> and he, we know that because the camera dollies all the way into him holding his newspaper with that name highlighted in red. And I'm like, oh God, that's such a, everything is so blocked. This is such a movie moment, but whatever, it's fun. Who yeah, cares? it's like, so you see, you <laughs> yeah, see, yeah. he's the one that won. He's the one that won. Um, so, yeah, he wins. He walks off with a big smirk on his face. And he walks off to get his winnings. And he's being followed by sketchy dudes. Um, and after he goes and gets his winnings, he gets chased by the dudes. And he's running through the racetrack, like, you know, hallways or whatever. Yeah. And he runs into a women's bathroom. And... The thugs, the dudes run after him. They find him in the <laughs> in the bathroom. I always love the scene because they're like looking in the stalls and they find him there. He's like, hey, hey, guys. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like propped up on the toilet seat so no one could see him. Yeah. Uh, and they grab him and, and they basically want to, you know, he owes them money. And he's like, look, you know, I can get you your money. I can, I can, I can you know, uh, they want they want him to be 
partners with him, right? And so he's got this bag of money with him that he got from his winnings and he throws it out the window by the bathroom and they all freak out because that's all the money that he just won, right? So they run after the money. He splits. Um, they run down to the bag of money that's, that's in the street. They open up the bag and the bag's empty. Or it's got toilet paper. Yeah, it's got toilet the paper bathroom. in it. <laughs> and, uh, and then Alex drives by in a, in a, in a uh, taxi and he's like, you know, see you later, boys, right? Yeah. Dude, that was such a fun scene. And I loved how it started when, when right when he takes off running when they're chasing after him, you hear the announcer announcing the race, but it times out, obviously on purpose, it times out perfectly so that, like, he's like, you know, the announcer says, and they're off, like, right when Dennis Quaid runs. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's a perfect thing. And and it just, it buttons up. It's it's a fun Fun scene, a fun introduction to Alex, a very, very high energy, you know? Yeah, because it shows that he's obviously, he went from being in a think tank lab to now he's scamming people and making money. And um, I think the leader of this like gang that wants to sign him to, you know, be a part, include him in their group or whatever. I think that guy, if he's not a jockey, he's like a, he's like a former horse racer or something like that. Um, I'm pretty sure. Cause, and he's also a little tiny guy too. Yeah. Uh, and he looks like a jockey. I don't know who he is. I looked in IMDB and, and I was like, well, I'm going to tap out on this one. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, um, once you yeah, scroll past like a, a, a like twenty like uh, no picture uh, entries in 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 the in the cast, you're like, eh, I'm done here. Yeah. If you don't have a picture on IMDb, you clearly don't care. Yeah. You know. So whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, that is a great scene. And from there, it just cuts like straight to his Alex at his house. He's made it back to his place, and uh, it's funny. Like they they know where he's at at the track but they don't know where he lives i feel like in this in that day and age you could probably easily but, find out where someone lives but then they do know where he lives because when he gets in the car with babcock and finch it's because those They're goons following. are coming up there like but the question was why didn't they just go there in the first place to his house yeah, yeah. and then they gave him and they waited till the next day yeah like, yeah they like they, i feel it's, like they should have just been there first but uh, okay yeah. but did you did you notice him playing the saxophone Okay, so yeah, it cuts to him at his house, and he's listening to his answering machine, and and so you have to, you have to go into his world that he's this uh, mind manipulator, right, with his telekinesis. So this girl calls him, he's and she's like, you know, screw you, Alex, you know, we're breaking up, and then she calls him the, the right after that. The next message is her calling again, saying, "Hi, Alex, um, I'm just hoping I could see you, you know, or something like that." <laughs> she basically wants to see him again. I'm like, oh, this is dude playing her mind, and he picks up his sax, and he's playing his sexy sax. It's a very synth wave. There was a moment where he takes his mouth off to, I guess, breathe, and the thing's yes. still playing. <laughs> yeah, and it's I was like, Ugh. I was like, okay. <laughs> but then I was shocked to find out on the documentary that uh, the reason they even have the sax in there is because Dennis Quaid actually plays the sax. So oh, I guess yeah, he is a musician. He's talented. So I guess he could play it. And they probably had him play it on set, but then the music that they matched up with him when they probably did it in, you know, in post, it was just a little wonky because you could tell he takes his mouth off. Because I don't think, like, it's not like a, a, a string where, like, it still makes a noise even after you strum it. Like, I don't, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think a saxophone still makes a noise when you're not blowing out of it, right? It's, I well, I think he, whatever he's playing, could, because they're doing like a, almost like that weird uh, 
synthesized horn. Yeah. It doesn't sound natural. So they they just say, seems like they just went over it in post probably. Yeah, that's what it felt like. Maybe it didn't fit right. Yeah. Or maybe he sounded like what Tommy was playing early, <laughs> later on in the movie. <laughs> they're like <laughs> they're like, "Yeah, Dennis, you're great, buddy. You're great. We're going we're going to fix hey guys, that in post, look, right?" Yeah, okay. Look. <laughs> I play the sax. I get all the ladies with it. Hey, you know. <laughs> oh my god, you're so good at sax. No, that's what happens when 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 somebody's hot. They can do no wrong. They can be a total ass, and people are like, "Oh my god, you're so cool." I, I don't know if you were a big Thirty Rock fan, um, but uh, no. um, oh shit, what's his name from? Um, <laughs> but I never watched it. Uh, Mad Men. What's his name? Uh, John mm-hmm. Hamm. And he's he 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 yeah. he was on. He plays a role in that show where he's like he's super good looking, but he's super dumb, like really yeah. dumb. And then yeah, she's like, wait. You're not a, like he's a doctor. Like it's it's the whole thing. They they played every. Like, he gets everything, and he he thinks he's smart. He thinks he's all this, but it's only because people have been lying to him because he's so good looking. So yeah, it's it's true. It works for both guys and girls. If you're good looking, life's a little bit easier for you, I think. Yeah, that's what Corey and I have been fighting all our lives. That's right. It, life is just way too easy for us. Yes. You know. <laughs> no. No. I was gonna say we we fight against those scumbags. I know. So, I anyways. know. <laughs> Oh, wait. Oh, I mean, no, we're incredibly good looking. <laughs> Listen to the intro again. Um, so from there, we cut to the next day, and Alex is leaving his apartment, which appears to be like UCLA, Westwood area. I'm like, this, this doesn't look like uh, St. Louis, where I think it's supposed to take place. Oh, uh, okay. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, that is LA. But he, here's the thing. I don't think it's supposed to take place in St. Louis because he does mention at one point he lives on, La, are you going to take me to La Cienega? So I do think, oh. and because the original script actually was supposed to take place in New York and they switched it to, to LA. And I, I know what you're you were vibing on, and it's because George Went um, had had a St. Louis hat on. I thought the movie for a second was supposed to take place in St. Louis. I, I guess I was confused too because I knew it was L.A., but then at the same time I didn't know where Thornhill was. Like, why was it raining so much? But that was apparently filmed in Stockton at the uh, University of the Pacific in Stockton, California. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was confused, and we can talk about it at the, at the end when he's getting on the mm-hmm. train with Jane. Um, Anyways, yeah, so wherever the fuck he is, it, <laughs> in the, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? <laughs> they uh he's getting ready to 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 leave his apartment. And then we're introduced to Finch and Babcock or Babcock and Finch, however <laughs> you want to present it. Uh I lo- <laughs> I love that. That's the shirt. Finch and Babcock. Um, Finch and Babcock or Babcock and Finch. Or oh just God. on the front, it'll be Finch and Babcock. On the back, it'll be Babcock and Finch. <laughs> I love it. And do it in a dreamscape font. That yeah. Pretty there dope. you go. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> marketing. <laughs> yeah. So from there, they're like, hey, they uh, basically say they've got a proposition for him. And and, uh, and and they're like, you know, why don't you get in the car with us? And And he's kind of questioning whether he should get in the car or not. And they want to take him somewhere, um, and but he's you know still unsure about it, obviously because they're total strangers. And he looks down the sidewalk and he sees that the thugs from the uh, racetrack are starting to come up. And he's like, you know what? I actually will get in the car with you guys. So he hops in the car and they split. And as they're driving off, and he looks back and he realizes he's safe now. Uh, he says, you know what, guys? I changed my mind. I want to get out. And they like they lock the door and he can't get out now. And the guys are like, look, you can't get out of the car. And, and you know, the people at Thornhill are anxious to meet you. And and he and they're like, just sit back and enjoy the ride. You yeah. know, and they're basically kind of reassuring him. They're like, we're, look, we're not going to hurt you. Yeah, because even he, uh, you know, even 
Alex is like, hey, can you can you answer me a question? And, you know, Babcock goes, uh, if I can. Um, and he goes, uh, you know, am I something like am I in any danger here? And then Babcock turns around and smiles at him. First off, shouldn't take his uh, fa- eyes off the road, but he does. And he goes, uh, you know, not from us. And I was like, I like I like this whole interaction. I, I like, you know, I like when Babcock even was like, um, you know, he's like, hey, I, I don't, I know this sounds sinister. It's not supposed to be, but these people up in Thornhill really want to see you. And, you know, like I, he, he even addresses it. Like, I know this sounds sinister, but of course, them locking the doors, it's just, there's a little bit of a, you're like, is he isn't he but at the same time it's because you know he, i don't know I, I never babcock the guy who plays him you know we said earlier he just he does a great job of being like a guy that can kind of smile and be like hey you know it's all good man you know yeah like don't worry guys don't it's worry babcock and, Bab, babcock and finch are not gonna let you down yeah no we're good we're good and, <laughs> and then they drive up the i think they drive up the basically the 101 right um all yeah. the way up uh who from the that fuck? point on yeah i'm like oh this is the this is pch you yeah know? pch and some, yeah cool synth music playing and um and we're now with the at thornhill college you know home of the institute and and alex is like oh your mom my mom put me up put my mom put you up to this right guys because i gotta finish college or he's making jokes and whatever and they bring him in to the college and they're at security and security wants him to fill out a form and he's like you know, do I have to? And they're like, don't worry. He doesn't have to do that right now. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah. Bab- and, uh, at this point, Babcock and Finch, Finch and Babcock, they're the best, man. They're awesome. Yeah. I love Babcock and Finch. They're so far so great. F- Finch and Babcock. Uh, <laughs> they bring Alex to a room and which has got a two-way mirror on it. And he walks up to the mirror and he writes, you know, on the mirror, let's get on with it basically. Cause he, he knows what's up. That was so, that was cool. That was fucking smooth as shit. Like he, I love, I love that. I was like, cause at first I was like, took me a second to be like, what's he doing? Ah, yep. That's cool. I dig that. Yeah. And he's got a big old grin on his face. And the other side of the mirror is, is Dr. Jane DeVries. She comes into Alex's room. She tells him she's interested in working on dreams with him. And she eventually takes him into the sleep monitoring station. I guess the lab. I want to call it the lab because mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to be doing throughout this whole episode. She takes him through other areas of the institute as well. And then as she's taking him down this hallway, she's talking about, oh, this is the area that deals with sexual dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And she's talking about a dude that uh, gets three to four erections a night. And, uh, <laughs> and I wrote this down because yeah. Alex says, say? he goes, it's a great line. He goes, so Jane, what you do here in effect is count boners. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's good. That's good. That's great. gold. That's gold. Yeah. He's got some gold lines in this. Movie. Yeah, uh, definitely. And that is one of the first ones. <laughs> and she gets called away and Alex is trying to escape. Uh, but gets back to the observation room with the sleep pods. And that's where Novotny shows up. And, you know, they know each other clearly. And, and, and Novotny's, you know, pissed. He's like, why did you walk out on me? And uh, he's like, I just wanted to know you were okay. Like they have like this, seems like a fatherly father and son kind of relationship yeah. so far. And and I like that Novotny is honest because uh, Alex is like, you know, did you care about me or the research, you know? And he was and Novotny's like both. And I, I, yeah. I think that's what kind of made Alex come back around to him. Cause he didn't lie to him. He's like both. 
I, I mean, I cared about you, you know, it, and and that's I think that's very honest. I I like that. Yeah. I like their relationship and I like their rapport. And Alex is like, ah, and then they both do that. Ah, it's good to see you again. It's it's almost uh, it's almost like the the Han and Lando and Empire Strikes Back. You know, you, you think they're going to be adversarial, and then all of a sudden they're like, ah, it's good to see you again. I could see that. Yeah, that's a good uh, that's a good analogy because yeah, they have. They obviously have a strong relationship, and Navani's like, I want to cultivate your talents. I want to improve them. I want to get them better. You don't know exactly what he wants to do with them just yet. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim, and with me today in studio is co-host Oh, hey, Dean. hey, Tim. Dean. Huh? Uh, this isn't a full episode. This is actually just an ad. All we have to do is tell everyone that our podcasts come out on Mondays, and they can find us on their favorite podcatcher. If they're into movies, comics, or video games, they should definitely check us out. Oh, well then, thanks everybody for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Talking back. And now, back to the show. From there, it cuts to Alex and Novotny at a bar. And I'm like, is this the same bar from Real Genius? You know, do they mm. use, is this a bar in Westwood? Because they oftentimes, you know, will just shoot the, at the same locations, especially in the 80s. Well, my thing was because they kept, ref- like, naming this thing. It's the Village Pub. They keep referring yes. to it. The vi- I'm going to go to the Village Pub. I keep, they keep Village saying pub, it. Yeah. So I was like, at, at some point, I was just like, is this, like, a real place? Like, are, are they, you know what I mean? Like, it's. Is this real? Like, what is this? Why do yeah? Because in a movie, you normally don't really name the restaurant. You're just like, hey, let's go to get a beer. But yet in this movie, multiple times they call it like the village or the village pub or whatever. And I'm just like, is this a known place? Am I supposed to know it? They go back to it, like you said. They go back to it probably three times in the movie. So it had it's its own character in a way. It is. It's important. It's important to acknowledge that it's a character because you know in important events happen in this place mm-hmm. uh, and Novotny's explaining the theory of going into other people's dreams and uh it's cool because they're having like this really deep conversation you know and Alex thinks it's all crazy and Novotny's like well we've done it mm-hmm. <laughs> you know he's uh the dreamscaping and I like the fact that he's they've done it like three times like it's not like a it's not a crazy number and it's also like not just once either so you know like as a scientist you know, he, you know, first time he's probably like, holy shit, this is crazy. And second time, you obviously got to confirm it. Third time, okay, now we actually have a situation. Let's go get Alex. You know, I that's a, just another piece of just good writing, I think. Yeah, it's great. And and Alex is like kind of probing him more about like the room that, that he saw earlier, the, the, the lab room. And <laughs> the one that the, was decorated by Darth Vader? Pretty much, <laughs> yeah. And and the guys who did the black hole, Disney's black hole. So, uh, <laughs> um and Novotny's like, well, look, you know, once you get proficient in learning how to do this dream hopping, this, then you won't even need that room, which is a really cool nod to later on in the movie. Once you get to the dreamscape, as he says. Mm-hmm. Uh, and quick pause for the fact that this movie has subtitles. And thank God it does. Thank God for subtitles. Because when you're watching a movie, I don't care if it's like us breaking down a movie, but when you're watching a movie you don't want to have to keep rewinding over and over again to say, what did they say? What did they say? You can just read it. It's right there. And Beautiful thing. I have a great 
discovery via the subtitles in the third act. It's not a discovery. So do I. I just thought it was. I just thought it was really cool. So okay, we'll get you there. and I. What we'll do when we get to that scene, which I think it is, we'll do a countdown and see if, like, at the same time, say the the line. Mine's the car scene. Yes, mine oh, too. Hey, it's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> great. Okay, so. Jesse Pinkman uh, sort of Breaking Bad thing. Um, anyways, yeah, Devontae's like, look, you know, think about it. What, or no, he says, why did she sleep on it? Wink. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of obvious. And as they're at the bar, just at this like little, you know, booth at the bar talking, uh, they pan away and you see George Wentz's character, Prince, watching from the back of the bar. Yeah. My, my Very, note like, is ominously. Norm posted up, baby. Yeah, he's posting up, and you know people are like, "Oh, that's Norm from Cheers." Yeah, well, check him out in, um, check him out in House, and and then he was in this movie called Plain Clothes, which uh, it's like it's 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 a high school drama, uh, cop drama. It's cool, it drop cop dramedy, if you will. Uh, really cool, like indie film. I'm checking out. I fucking love George Went, man. I, yeah, George I Went's always great. loved and, him. House and is he's got. And by the way, House is awesome movie. That is. Absolutely on our to-do list, and I'm not going to lie. Probably House Two is also on our to-do list. Yep, yep, uh, no doubt, no doubt. After, especially after interviewing our good boy Jonathan Stark. Yeah, uh, you, you know. know what? Maybe uh, you know I'll put it out here now. Maybe we'll coordinate, and Zach, you can uh, you do House. I'll do House Two. Maybe we'll just do them back to back. You know, we'll do a House Fest. Yep. I'll tell you what we're not going to do: House Four. <laughs> Are we going to do House Three? That's not ha- not named House Three. AKA horror show. Yeah. Um, potentially. Cause I like that movie. Okay, cool. It's actually pretty good. Cool. Uh, but we might have to do that one with shocker. <laughs> okay. <laughs> shocker. Okay. So anyways, cut to Alex in bed, uh, at the Institute reading and he's reading up on, on, on just what's going on there. I'm, I'm assuming, um, gets up, goes downstairs to investigate what's going on. Uh, okay. Okay. So the second time that I watched this, I noticed, I, I think he knew to go because the guard was walking away. I, I think he was using his psychic ability. And once I realized that, how subtle they did that, I realized throughout the movie they do subtle psychic things, and I fucking love them for it because they don't do the... Like, it don't make some kind of weird sound effect to cue in that he's using his psychic ability, you know? Yeah. I, I, I truly believe, because he does some kind of, like, he's laying, like you said, he's, like, kind of reading, but he also kind of, like, all of a sudden looks up, and then they cut to, like, the guard walking into, the, like, walking away into the bathroom, and then he's, you know, slinking around the corner. So I, I think that he was basically reaching out with his with his psychic, you know, abilities to realize that the guard went got up to go to the bathroom. And if that's the case, I just love it. I love the fact that they don't put a sound effect to it. I love the fact that you you just have to pick up on that. Yeah, the, this movie deals with obviously um realistic shit because telekinesis is a real thing, a real theory. Um but also deals with the fantasy aspect of it too. Like what if we had people, you know, Firestarter was really popular with telekinesis. There was an episode of G.I. Joe that came out around the same time where the characters uh, airborne, his little brother was had telekinesis powers uh, and Cobra was trying to, um, you know, take over world domination with all these telekinesis people, which is cool. I like I love telekinesis. Ghostbusters obviously uh, played on that a little bit. I love the idea of moving shit with your mind. And yeah, I think I totally buy that. I, I'll buy that. 
that deep world build that you just created there, <laughs> buddy. Um, that's, that's what I'm here for, man, man. And speaking of buddy, uh, Alex goes into the dream lab. I'll just call it the dream lab. Uh, and when he goes in there, that's where Novotny is and DeVries. And, they're, and, and this kid who's buddy, uh, his name's buddy, he's on a bed chair dreaming. Uh, and then there's another dude next to him in another chair dreaming. And just to set the stage, this this looks like a recording booth um, where, like, you know, the, there's there's the control room where they're doing the obviously monitoring. And on the other side of the glass is there's there's two chairs that look like uh, David Cronenberg, uh, you know, reddish brown leather dentist chairs. Yeah. And they're sleep chairs where the two people sleeping or dreaming are hooked up to a machine. Um, and buddy is this little kid. He's probably like eight or nine years old and he's, uh, you know, asleep, but he's like going struggling back and forth, looks really uncomfortable. And then the other guy's equally struggling. And DeVries is like, you know, the, the brain waves are erratic. She wants to pull them out. Um, they they shut the machines down and they go in to check on them and Buddy's crying from whatever dream he had and the dude that was hooked up to the monitors as well looks totally traumatized yeah like looks like he's just you know he he looks brain dead yeah cut to the next day Novotny wakes Alex in the morning and he says that the 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 guy the older guy who was traumatized his name's Edward he was shocked by what he saw in Buddy's dreams and he wants Alex try and help Buddy. And Alex like Alex doesn't want to. He wants to leave. And Novotny, at this point, threatens to sick the IRS on Alex. <laughs> so he's like, you know, the IRS wants to do an audit on you. A five-year audit. <laughs> five-year audit. And, I, and you know how those five-year audits go. Talk to the president about that. <laughs> and I love just Dennis Quaid plays it perfectly. He's like, what? What? Like, just totally (laughs) freaking out. And then they do one of those fantastic, you know, cuts where he's like, I will not do this. You will not coerce me into this. You will not blackmail me into this. No matter what happens, I will not do this. Smash cut right to him with, uh, you know, uh, cords on his face, you know, being tested and everything because clearly he agreed to it, you know, and everything. I was like, ah, that was funny. It it always works. That always works, you know? Yeah, totally. You know, just threaten him with with something financial and they'll cave. And, uh, yeah, he's with Jane DeVries and she's testing him testing his psychic abilities. It's it's like the scene in Ghostbusters yeah. with uh, Venkman, you know, yeah. where she's on one side looking at colors and he's he's getting them wrong. Yeah. She's holding up colors and he's getting them all wrong. But then she's like, "Look, you know, you got to concentrate and uh and he can't he can't focus." And DeVries is like, "You know, come on, Alex, you need to focus, right?" And so he's suddenly he's like he he takes a he takes a moment and starts naming all the right colors at this point. And it's not and it's not that he couldn't do it before. It's just like that's like freaking so like level one to him, you know? Like yeah. he's like a, a level like, ten psychic, doing? and this is like level one. He's like, why would I even you know care? But yeah, she. It's, I like that. I, I thought that was cool. And then all of a sudden he's like, fine, I'll show you what I can do. And then totally, yeah, yeah exactly. And, and then yeah, he's calling out the colors. Then he says. Yes. Yeah, that was cool. I find you attractive. Yes. And <laughs> and she's, she's totally reading her mind. Yeah. And she says, you know, knock it off. And, and he's like, how, how else do you expect me to warm up? The old whammy. No, you know? whammy. <laughs> <laughs> 
Cut to the next scene, you see uh, Andrew, who was in that booth getting carried away, looks like a vegetable, yeah. uh, in a ambulance, right? Uh, then you cut back to Alex showering with his chiseled bod, and uh, and then he's in the shower, then he hears what probably is what Dennis Quaid sounds like when he plays saxophone. <laughs> uh, I'm just speculating. Probably not. And you hear just like the horrible saxophone player comes out, and he sees he's introduced to Tommy. And he's playing the fucking saxophone, with, and he's looking at Alex while he's playing. And so this little shit, you know, he's got like a button-up shirt, but he's got a dickie underneath. Yeah. And you guys, if you don't know what a dickie is, it's basically the top half of a turtleneck, and yeah. that's it. Like, why that was ever a thing, I have no idea. I think that was popularized by Cobra Commander, but I could <laughs> be wrong. Uh, he's playing his sax, and I'm just like, I don't care if we're in a COVID world or if we're in 1984 – you don't put your fucking mouth on someone's equipment. Yeah. Yeah. And that was intended to sound the way it sounded. <laughs> I, and I a hundred percent agree with you as someone who's also a germaphobe. Um, I was like, Ooh, gross. Even, gross. even for, for Tommy Ray, I was like, Ooh, gross for you, you know? Um, but, uh, I, I found it interesting too. It's like, Alex wasn't like immediately turned off by him. He was like, Hey, let's go grab some beers. You well, know? Yeah. Yeah, he introduces, you know, Tommy introduces himself, Tommy Ray Glatton, and he's like, oh, and Alex is like, oh, you're the Neil Armstrong of Dreamlink. And uh, and then Tommy puts on <laughs> fucking Alex's coat, his leather coat, and he's like, I bet I can get a lot of chicks with this coat or something like that. Yeah. Some funny line. And yeah, and Alex is like, offers to get him a, go out and get a beer with him. Because he goes, I, Tommy, I, I want some advice or something. But then I love Tommy's like, I don't give it. <laughs> what advice. does he say? He goes, I don't give advice. Yeah, and well, Tommy goes, why? Yeah. You know? That's the first thing he says is, why? And he's like, yeah, and that's when he's like, well, I want to pick your brain or whatever. Yeah, I don't I don't give advice. And uh, and then that's when Tommy's like, I knew the second I saw you, you'd want my secrets. Yeah. I'm like, damn, dude. <laughs> the fuck? He's intense. He, Tommy is fucking out of the gate intense, and I love him. And he says, and he says, quote, I'm the only one, I only care about me, myself, and I. I'm the only one who can do it. And you're like, okay, shit. And then Alex is like, well, what about Edward Sims? And then Tommy's like, they had to carry him out in a basket. And you're like, damn, dude, yeah. you're fucking cold, man. It's like cold as shit. <laughs> Later you're going to find out why he's so cold as shit. Yeah, yeah. Cold-blooded. <laughs> uh, and then, and then. Alex is like, well, Novotny thinks I can do it. And then Tommy's like, well, I'll order you a basket then. And that's when he splits. Oh, man. Can I can I just say as much as I love David Patrick Kelly, he's got a huge fucking head. <laughs> he, well, he's an odd looking dude. He's a little guy. Yeah. You know, with a giant so with, back, a, with a giant guy's head with a giant guy's head. So if you go back to the Warriors where he is like the weasel of fucking weasels in that film, yet he's the leader, he's a Napoleon. You know, yeah. he is, he exudes power through his energy, yeah. not through what he looks like. He just, he has a level of confidence that he portrays and you're just like, okay, okay fine. I'll listen to you. Shit. Yeah. You know, but normally you wouldn't give two shits to a guy like that. No. Normally you'd be like, fuck off, dude. But he's so confident. Yeah. And, and and he's that's how he is in every 48 hours too he was in that too he played a little shit in that also he always plays a great little shit he, he does he does and then you know giant head aside he he's still fantastic 
Fantastic and and creepy as fuck. Yep. And he's gonna get a whole lot creepier in a little bit. Yep. So <laughs> from there we cut to back to the dream lab, and um, there's a dude hooked up to a machine with Alex also equally hooked up to the machine, and uh, his the guy's name is Bill Hardy, and Alex is like you know nervous as he's getting hooked up to this machine. He's like, hey, just make sure you get me out of there, right? And they're they're trying to reassure him. Novotny is and. Uh, and then suddenly from there, you ent- he, Alex enters Bill's dream. And it's cool because, like, every time they go into this dreamscape, they do, like, this kind of weird, kind of cloudy, um, almost like a screensaver you have on your computer now, you know? So they specifically got um, this uh, uh, experimental film director to do just those uh, tunnels. So, so those, really? those, cool. all those entering in the dreams and everything uh, were done by one specific artist. They actually went out and got him. And now they did say that during the, 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 I think the, they mentioned the sex dream. I don't know if it was the Kate Capshaw one or the other one. And he came, he did bring them a very sexualized, uh, uh, you know, they're like, uh, we, we want a different kind of tunnel. I think he basically gave them like a, an internal vagina sort of shot type of thing yeah. or in, implication. I mean, you know, obviously it wasn't, but like he artistically, that's what he tried to do. And they were like, uh, more abstract, please. You know? <laughs> well, it, it makes sense because as they enter each dream, I don't know if you picked up on this, but they give, they give subtle hints to what's going yeah, on. It's, so yeah, it's, it's like, there's like a, a a theme, both like like both in color to whatever it is, and then the sounds that you're hearing. Sometimes you'll hear screams. Sometimes you'll hear the sound of the of the sex or something. It's like, it's like they take. It's weird, and I actually thought about this. It's like they take the sounds of the climax of the dream retroactively put it into that tunnel at the beginning so when you're going in it's weird you're hearing what is basically sound effects from the end of the dream but you're going you're using that to go into the dream with i I was very fascinated by the dream tunnel yeah it's super cool because yeah because once they get into the dream it kind of just looks like a normal reality yeah Uh, but it's slowed down at points or maybe it's shot with kind of like a like a fishbowl lens. Yeah, so they, they do different techniques. Um, and this one, this one, uh, kind of the only thing they did was add this really cool cloud effect on the air, you know? Yeah. And really, yeah. again, on paper, bad effects, but for some reason works completely fine because it's a dream. Totally. And and I will I'll say something in a minute actually looks better than a, a bigger budgeted film uh, later on. Uh, that came out a couple years later in the are, 80s, a sci-fi movie. Are you referring but, um, to when he falls in RoboCop? Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it actually looks a lot better than RoboCop. It does. It does. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so so cut to Alex is on top of a high rise, and the guy who he's laying next to, Bill, is in the dream as well. And Bill's looking at Alex, and they have a quick exchange, and then there's a girder, a uh, steel girder being propped up like on a construction site behind them. And the and the steel beam knocks Bill uh, off the building, and he grabs onto the, the the beam, and Alex runs over and jumps onto the girder as well. So the two of them are on there. Alex is on top of the girder. Bill's holding onto the girder, and uh, Alex goes to rescue Bill, and he's grabbing onto his shirt uh, to to kind of pull him up. And the guy's like, "Help me! Help me! Help me!" Right. And so Alex, as he's grabbing him, the shirt Bill's shirt starts to rip, and 
Alex falls back because he's pulling too much on the shirt and he falls off the beam and he starts falling, screaming his ass off and he wakes up and he's just like, whoa, you know, awake and he's okay. Totally exhilarated. He's, he's stoked, right? Because <laughs> he, he did it. He did it. And and yes, that fall is better than the uh, Dick Jones animatronic fall in <laughs> RoboCop 2. Um, you know, and the sad thing is the animatronic was fine. His it, the arms aren't too long. It was... I believe the, the, the problem had to do with, like, the, the lens of the camera that they used. It gave this, like, weird distortion effect or something. But, yeah, it, the, sadly, the animatronic Dick Jones arms, they weren't long. It just was, like, a weird optical effect. But it's terrible. It's To this day, it's still the worst. It's terrible, but it's funny. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like yeah. it adds it adds to the the yeah. schlockiness of the movie, which is which is another reason yet why I love RoboCop. Oh God! Uh, but we'll get to that when we do RoboCop, if we ever do, because it's so damn long and it's a lot to break down. Yeah, um, if, we, if we ever do RoboCop, it'll be mine, guys. I, I'll do it. Don't worry. It, <laughs> it'll it'll take happen. One for the team. It will happen. I will take one for the team. <laughs> so from there, thank you. From there, uh, you cut to Alex in you know CT room, his CAT scan room, and he's. He's getting his brain monitored, uh, and he's finished up, and he comes out of the monitor, but he or out of the machine, but he's still strapped in. And Bob Blair shows up, and he's like, "Hello, Alex." He's, you can clearly know from the minute you see this guy that he's a dick. Like, there's something about him that's just shady, right? He just comes across as being a shady government guy, um, and and and. He talks about how he runs this program, basically. He's running this program. He's in charge. And then Alex is like, well, hey, can you get me out of these straps here? And Bill laughs. He's like, oh, I, I, I can't do that, but I can find someone who can. <laughs> He's like, uh, yeah, it's, man, it, just like Babcock and Finch, Finch and Babcock, um, he, he just does a great job of you don't think he's sinister yet, you know? You know, yeah, but you know, you know, like the minute because he can't undo the, yeah. the straps on his wrist, you clearly are like, dude, you can fucking help me, man. Yeah. But you just want to, you just want to be a dick and sit there and like, well, I can't help you, but I do want to offer my congratulations for <laughs> doing the dream link. You did a great job with that. And then he tells, and he's like, well, Alex, can l- let me give you a little bit of advice. Um, yeah, you know, try not to sneak around while you're while you're here. And Alex is like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you know, just make sure that you're you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing. Right. You know, be, because you've been playing it kind of fast and loose lately. Fast and loose, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'll, I'll, I, I I'll, love that phrase, I'll, by the way. I'll make sure I find someone to get those, uh, get you hooked up, uh, hook, you know, unhooked out of that thing. Yeah. And I'm just like, God, you're such an evil, you're a future evil bastard. We know you are. We yes. know you are. Uh, from there, Alex is running at the school and the college the next day, I'm assuming. And, Alex uh, does he, a lot of running in this movie, and his run, his weird gangly arm run, is very interesting. And also in this scene right here too, he's got sweat like all over his body, and he's got butt sweat. I noticed that. Yeah, he he's a sweater, and and he's and he's also like that's is that the reason why he's in such great shape? Like because he runs all the time? Because <laughs> when he runs, he's all legs and arms everywhere, akimbo. <laughs> yeah, and 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 Dennis Quaid knows this, guys. Like. Come on, he's he's the, he knows he's the shit. He's a rock star. He he's also you know perform on stage. I've seen him perform on stage. Like the guys, the guys, the cock of the walk. He knows what's <laughs> up, and it's all good. It's all good. Um, but yeah, he's running and he sees Devries, Jane, uh, with Buddy Driscoll, the little kid that he saw a couple you know minutes earlier, uh, in 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 the Dream Link, and she tells. Alex it's funny because the kid's sitting right there not even three feet from them and she's like telling 
Alex about Buddy, but he's kind of like zoned out. You know, Buddy, Buddy's supposed to be zoned out because he's not he's not sleeping. And she's telling him that, you know, the kid can't sleep. He's terrorized. He's on the verge of a nervous breakdown. She's not whispering like she's just straight up just telling him. And the kid's not even flinching. Um, And she's showing Alex the drawings that the kid has made. And they're like typical trauma drawings. You know, everything's dark. There's a little kid in the metal. And then there's like a picture of a snake. And you're like, oh, what the hell is that? We'll get to that. And uh, Alex Alex is like, well, I want to talk to him. And you're like, dude, he's right there. Like, you can clearly talk to him, you know. <laughs> so Alex starts talking to Buddy about his dreams, and the kid's like, well, someone's in my dreams, and they, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I, I keep making me miss Little League, and you know, I just wanted to stop Alex, and and Alex is like, well, I'm going to help you, and which is cool. Yeah. And then from there, you you realize they're being watched by someone in the distance. Yeah, that that mustache bad guy. I feel mustache like bad guy. I feel like he didn't like they gave him too much camera time for him to not really turn into anything. I almost yeah. wish they did, you know, instead of that guy, instead of introducing a new random guy, have them do, you know, have Babcock and Finch, right? But I guess he would have I guess Alex would have recognized Babcock and Finch. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. And and you know, it's typical like government bad guy, you know, something's up. Yeah. Uh, cut to the next scene. It's back at the apocalypse. Welcome back to the apocalypse. And you hear, um, you know, distant voices while the president's walking around. Why did you do it? It burns. What did we do? And they're all kids voices. Yeah. Like, yeah. Little kids voices moaning over and over again. And the camera's panning around. It's supposed to be the perspective of the president walking around and he goes to open up a door. This scene's terrorizing, ter- terrifying, because he opens up the door, and as the, the voices are getting louder and louder, and the the voices are like sh- going through this thing. Why did you do it? And he opens up the door, and these kids all reach out and scream and grab him. And and they're all like like radiated mutated. and mutated or whatever, yeah. zombified. Um. So this scene was horrific even now i it's not the scene that i remember scaring me as a kid that was the snake stuff and that stuff's not that scary now um this scene legit as a 42 year old man i thought was fucking terrifying i jumped a little when when all the hands you know came out the door even though i I knew it was coming like you know what i mean like i knew it was fucking coming still scared the shit out of me even the second time i watched it day after i was like I know what's coming. I know what's coming, but it's so well crafted. The and it, and it's because of the sound design, the way that they the voices kind of get higher and higher to that sh- weird shrill scream thing. This scene is just fucking amazing, but terrifying at the same time. Yeah, it's really creepy. It really captures the idea of like what it's like to be terrorized in your dreams. It yeah. really feels legit. Yeah. Um, and when the president, the president once again wakes up screaming. Also, side note, the pacing is really odd with this film because the first two thirds of it are really slow build to get to the to get because you know, guys, already the president's gonna go to the Dream Link Dreamscape. He's he's on his way yeah. to the, the 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 college. It takes a long time to get him there, but once you get him there, that third act is like over in fifteen minutes. Yeah, it's really interesting to me. Yeah. And anyways, because this movie's like an hour and forty, and the first hour is like 
pretty slow and then you just get into it and you're like oh shit okay no, not not a bad slow by the way no 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 not at all i'm just just the pacing yeah. is just odd yeah um and i don't know if that was for budget or what but anyways yeah he wakes up his daughter comes in which is interesting and he's like it's my fault it's my fault and, the, and then security security guards are observing what's going on cut to the next scene it's the next day uh helicopters landing in at the president's home it's uh, or it's vacation home. Well, it right? looks or, looks very Simi Valley-ish, like where, uh, like kind of actually where the Ronald Reagan Museum is or, or library, whatever the hell it is, you know. Yeah, or where they film a bunch of porn. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so from there, you, you see this helicopter come into land, and it's Bob Blair, uh, and then you know they see the president sees them, and you can tell they're buddies, and you know and. And Bob's like, we've been through a lot together. And the president says, you know, I can't sleep, Bob. It's affecting my job. And that's the reason. Uh, and then Bob's like, well, that. And, oh, and then he's like, was that the, is that the reason why you're here? And Bob's like, no, I'm here because I'm your friend. You know, it's so like ham-handed bullshit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Bob tells him that uh, he's like, well, I know that there's there's someone out there that can help you. And, and president's like, well, I think there's a reason for these dreams. And, and I think it's. I think it's because I, I'm supposed to bring the world back from the brink of nuclear madness. This nuclear madness needs to end. Um, and and he's like, I want to lead the delegation in Geneva, which I guess is like nuclear talks. Yeah. It's just uh, basically alluding to the fact that he wants to get rid of nuclear bombs, which, hey, I'm all for that shit, you know? And there's a very – they do not expand upon it, but I think there's a very interesting – two points of view to this movie where the president is viewing the dreams as like, like somebody's trying to tell him something. He's viewing it as like sort of a window into something bigger or whatever. Whereas, yeah. you know, Bob, uh, uh, Blair, whatever his name is, um, is, is viewing it as more like a tool. Um, and then, you know, even, even Max von Sydow's character is sort of viewing dreams as, as something different as well. And, Again, this was another sort of thing that I wish they kind of delve into deeper, how people just kind of put different emphasis on on the dreams. You know, people just believe different things about it, what they mean and stuff like that. I thought that was kind of cool, just getting different people's perspectives on dreams and what they mean. Yeah, Bob, I mean, we'll we'll later find out that Bob has only one agenda in mind, and being the head of the CIA or a big part of the CIA – Especially in the 80s, we were so paranoid about the CIA that the CIA, and rightfully so, that the CIA was doing shit that no one knew about, taking out people, uh, killing people, and doing all sorts of terrible things, un, you know, under the guise of, well, that's it's it's good government practice or it's keeping everyone safe, yeah, you know, kind of thing. But no one knew about it, and we'll get to that later as to his intentions because you can tell that as the president saying all this that Bob doesn't like the message that the president's like, well, we need to get basically get rid of nuclear weapons. Right. And uh, Bob's like, you know, I want to ease your peace of mind. Uh, and then from there you cut to DeVries, Jane DeVries in, uh, in her office with a married couple. It's George and Melanie. And they're talking about their, their, their dream issues. And, um, you know, uh, the, Melanie, the wife is like, you know, I, I, I keep having this dream where, or I, I wake up and I find my husband on the lawn in his pajamas, and uh, and, and they're basically talking. Go ahead. And, and that, that's not her dream, by the way. That's I think what really happens to him. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. he wakes up, but yeah. And but there is a 
a, a level of attractiveness disparity between the two. You yes. know, uh, she's much more attractive than him. Yeah, George is. Yeah, George is. Uh, you know, he's 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 not 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 the not the most beautiful uh, piece of silverware in the drawer. No. And Melanie is. And yeah, they're explaining that their sex life isn't great. Uh, and then you cut to Alex or Novotny with Alex and, and he wants Alex to go in and observe George's dream to solve the problem. Um, and then you immediately cut to Alex going into George's dream, the dream link. Yeah. And then as you're doing that, as you're picking up on the sound, like we talked about earlier, you can hear this moaning sound. <laughs> yeah. You're like, well, what's, oh shit. That's that, not a moan of pain. It's a moan of joy. And you see Alex is in a car with George. Uh, and George is like, you know, marriage, it's no picnic. <laughs> you got to keep your eye on them. Cause they'll you cheat on your you. Eye on it, right. <laughs> yeah. And George, uh, they pull up to George's house and George wants a sneak attack like as they're entering the house. Right. And so Alex goes in through the front and George goes in through the back. Um, and as they go in, like out, it's very slowed down. It's very slow motion. And Alex is going through the front door and, and he sees, he sees George come up and they start going up the stairway to the second floor of this house together. And it's going slower and slower. And as they are going up slower, they hear this moaning going on. And, um, and as they get to the top, they walk in on Melanie and she's riding George's brother. And so this is the camera shot slash scene in question on our Blu-ray because the camera swings from being focused on George and Alex, swings over. It looks like it should have been a straight shot to them on bed, and she looked like she was naked. But the camera, it almost looks like in post-production, it zooms in and pans up sort of to the to the ceiling-ish, and then it kind of like lands yep. on her face. So my question to you is... Do you remember the sex scene here? Like, was oh, yeah. she nude? She's, yeah, fully nude. She's riding him. So, so you, you saw the actress nude here? Yeah, like, I remember seeing this on HBO back in the day. And she's riding him. And, you know, boobs so, flopping around. Okay. So. So, so then, so that means that Scream Factory, Shot Factory... That, yeah, they used this is the it was basically the, the, the TV cut. That was the, the 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 TV cut that I don't know why that got that got put into that got put into that late that the DVD, um, the image DVD, which means they took that that print. That's the print they used. That's the print that Shot Factory used to yeah. uh, to make the, the Blu-ray. And that's very disappointing. Yeah, and I love because people are like, well, this isn't the European cut. And I was reading somewhere online where people are like, guys, it's not that big of a deal. No, it's a big deal in the sense that, you know, Shout Factory touts how they like they put out the most pristine editions of every single film that they put out. And I'm just going to say, like, if you're going to charge someone $30 for a Blu-ray, which is basically what this costs, it's, it's not one of the cheaper ones. Um do it right by doing the yeah. version that's that was came out in the theaters, you know, yeah. like people like this was what was on in the theater. I remember at least on the VHS. I know that this was the version, you know, put out the, the uncut version or the full version you or, know? Or, or both. Just put them both on the damn disc yeah. and, and let us. Yeah, dude. I mean, the it's kind so, of bullshit. So I got opinion. the, I got the shop factory, um, Friday the 13th Blu-ray set. And, um, and they, they already fucked that up and had have to send out, uh, three new discs to everybody three? because, um, in part, 
Wow. And, and Jason Goes to Hell, they forgot to include um, the wrist snap, um, the full wrist snap scene. Uh, and then in um, Jason X, the scene where Jason, in the simulation, he smashes the, the sleeping bag against the, the tree. Uh, there's no sound there. Um, what? And then something with the 3D and the 3D one, which I don't care about. But, you know, it's it's fine. Like, they, they you know, it's easy enough to go in and, and request your, you know, your replacement discs. But at the same time, it's like, guys, like, seriously. Like, and, and, so, you, and you go online, they're always doing shit like this uh, with, like, like the, the you, you'll, you can go back and find out about the Nightbreed debacle. Um, yeah. Like, how it was they originally. They did with Halloween also. Yeah, it was, like, the Nightbreed was supposed to originally have, like, like only be, like, limited to, like, 500, but they fucked it up, so now it's, like, 1,500. Uh, really, it's just, yes, for, for as big as Shout Factory is, I feel like. Their their quality assurance there is not the best. I feel like they're one of those companies that got too big and then they didn't improve their infrastructure on the inside. And that's why I actually I, I still support Shout Factory because you know obviously sometimes you can only get these movies from Shout Factory. But like, would I rather Arrow put out Friday the Thirteenth? Sure, because I fucking love Arrow. I think Arrow is the new Shout Factory, not in the bad ways, but in the good ways. Like I think Arrow is yeah. the 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 best guys out there and gals like the best people out there. Yeah. I will say, you know, M- MVD, um, who puts out really cool retro stuff as well. They, well, they, they put out split Lionheart. second. Yeah. Split second, right. They did a version of Lionheart that had some, um, issues. And so they were, they rectified that quickly. Um, but I give them a pass cause they're such a small company yeah. and they, and like the owner was responding to yeah. everyone, you know, not some, bot that was Shout just factory like, it's like come on man like yeah like it's all the time with you guys and again yeah. i'll still i still buy their stuff you know because they, they do do good stuff but they don't they're not as good as they say they are i guess I should yeah say. and and if you're i mean look if you're if you're that curious about it's not that big of a deal in in one sense uh it's a big deal in the sense that it's 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 an altered version of the movie. Yeah. And, and if you want to see the full scenes, you know, go online, just make sure you turn your uh, safe search off. <laughs> I mean, so. I, I'm going to go look for it. I, I, I'm mad about it, dude. First off, it's nudity. I want fucking, if, if there's new, if it, the, the DVDs are all like in the Blu-rays are supposed to have the nudity that was cut, well, you know, like and not, I'm not, gonna not lie. the other way around. This- I chose this movie. Be- one of the reasons I chose it to like, oh, Corey will love this because it's got some boobs in it, you know? And then I was like, oh, it's where'd the boobs go? How dare you? How dare <laughs> where you? did the boobs go? So anyways. Uh, 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 and- but aside from that, this scene actually turns out to be pretty funny and weird. Th- this scene is phenomenal. Yeah. And I think that's what adds to it, dude, because like she's sitting there riding him and he's like, he sees his wife, you know? So yeah. Okay. We'll let that go. It is what it is. I'll take a deep breath. Huh. <sighs> From there, yeah, she realizes that she she's riding George's brother. And then he's like, and the kids are watching? <laughs> he cuts over and see the kids watching them have sex. Even, we, Myra and I both laughed when we saw that. We're like, that's funny. <laughs> and then he, George runs over to the over his bed, and he pulls out his, he's like, and my golf buddies? <laughs> you know, he pulls out his golf buddies. And they're like, they got hard-ons, and they're all giggly. And then he goes over to the blinds, and he rips the blinds open. And the priest, which I guess the priest looks like maybe he's jerking off in the corner. He's got no uh, pants on, yeah. Yeah, he's got no pants on. And then the gardener is there. <laughs> too i and love i love this because first off the priest does something he's like i'm jewish and he kind of like dismisses the priest but i 
love the gardener, the, the, this this uh, Asian gardener named Fukuda. He goes, you too, Fukuda. And Fukuda <laughs> gives him this this the funniest smile. It just it, it none of this should have happened, but it it, it does, and it's so it, all of it works. It's fucking phenomenal. <laughs> Followed by a racist gong yeah, as they show Fakuda with a big smile on his face. And, yeah. But it's funny, though, yeah. dude. It's like it's it's like in 16 Candles when Long Duck mm. Dong is, you know, doing his whole shtick. Yeah. It's hilarious. It's so funny. It's great. And then from there, that's the end of the scene, right? Uh, and you cut to Alex with Paul Novotny in their office. And Paul, you know, it's typical Max von Sydow, the way he talks and everything is like this and she's had an inferiority complex and sexual insecurities and why do I sound like Sean Connery? What's going on right now? Um, And, you know, they're kind of breaking down what took place in George and Melanie's dream. It's uh, just kind of to button it up. And then Alex says, you know, I want to help Buddy. And uh, and Novotny's like, no, I don't don't think that's a good idea, Alex. And Alex, like, basically threatens to, to leave if he doesn't okay it. And I, I like that. I like that yeah. Alex wants to help Buddy. I like the Alex-Buddy, re, you know, relationship. And I also like, uh, you know, the escalation of, of you know, what the, the stakes are here. First, it's a, I mean, they're very high. It's it's a kid, you know. So, of course, as a viewer, we're like, oh, you know, save the kid, obviously. And then it segues yeah. from that into the president. It's like, damn, like, the escalation is pretty crazy. Like, it could have all just been about saving the kid, but they really went for it. They went big on this one. Yeah, this is cool because and I and I and you're right. Like Novotny is 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 realist with him. He's like, look, it's, it's gonna be rough, Alex. I'm not, not not gonna lie, you know. And and uh, and he says, I want to talk to you about the Shinoi people from in Malaysia, the dream people. I believe that dreams live, li- the dream lives are as real as being awake. And this is cool. I, it's a, like a l- little breakdown of uh, explaining what he needs to do with buddy in his dreams, because he's like the, the children are taught to never lose control of their nightmare, face their fears and, and conquer it. And, uh, and he's like, this is what buddy needs to do. He needs to conquer his dreams. Yeah. You know, I like that. I really, I yeah, like, and I, I believe I'm no, uh, <laughs> national geographic authority, but, uh, I believe that that's all true. Like that there is that like about that tribe or whatever. I believe all of that is not made up for the movie, you know? I, yeah, I, I I didn't I didn't dig into that to see if it was accurate, but I'm gonna say it is. I'm just gonna go on a limb and say it is. I only say that because I I believe I've heard it on a podcast. I just I know I've heard them mentioned before in like other stuff, like just talking about the dreams and stuff. So I, that's yeah. Again, I didn't research it, but I believe that they that's a real thing. Yeah, that's cool. I dig it. Um, so from there, Alex it cuts to Alex checking in with Buddy. Uh, Buddy's getting ready to go into his dreamscape and and then alex is like look buddy you're gonna be with me and it's kind of like i think this is the first time buddy's hearing this so he's surprised but he's excited and then you cut from there oh and he gives buddy a glove and yeah. buddy's like yeah, yeah. But, you know baseball glove yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like the typical like you know thing anyways um from there you cut to being in the lab buddy and alex are hooked up to their machines and uh devries and devotney are monitoring them and you go tick, tick, tick into Buddy's dream. Yeah. And here we go. This is like the first 
pretty i mean not the first intense scene but this is where the the fear level is getting a little bit more ramped up because now we're inside a child's dream and it's not funny anymore it's not silly uh like kids being terrified is probably not the fact that i'm not, it's not just the fact that i'm a parent but the idea that kids being terrified it's so primal you know mm-hmm. and it's so intense so like especially for this little kid the kid's good the actor who plays buddy he he's believable you feel yeah. like he's been traumatized and we're and, we're going to find out why and right about now i love the set design it's very I mean, it, it's not very. It just is. It's German expressionism. So if you go back and watch like uh, the Cabinet of Doctor Caligari, um, stuff like that, you'll and you know, I guess maybe a more contemporary thing. If you go watch um, uh, Rob Zombie's Living Dead Girl uh, music video, it's yeah. it's based on on the Cabinet of Doctor Caligari, and all of the design in that mo- on that video is German expressionism. There are no right angles. Everything is distorted because it's supposed to be uh, representational of you know, the characters that inhabit it and how distorted their view of reality is. But I absolutely love, adore the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Um, and, and I, I love German expressionism. So when I saw this, I was like, Oh God, that set design in, in, in all of this is absolutely fan fucking tastic. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's like a modern day version of it. And, uh, it's, it's, it's effective. There's a clock chiming and, and Buddy's sitting in a chair by himself and lightning cracks and he, you know, gets scared and goes behind his chair. Alex shows up and Alex is like, Hey, I'm the babysitter. And Buddy's like, you're the babysitter. Babysitters usually leave Alex. And immediately you're like, Oh, that sucks. Poor kid. He's all alone in his dreams, (laughs) which is really fucked up. Uh, and then Alex is like, our buddy's like, you know, snake man's going to get us. And Alex's like, well, we're going to take care of it, you know? And then suddenly you hear someone knocking at the door and Alex goes to the door in slow-mo and there's no one at the door. And he comes back to check on buddy. He's like, there's no one there. And then suddenly the hand crashes through the glass where buddy's right by the glass window hand crashes through the glass and grabs buddy. Buddy gets away and Alex is with buddy running through the house and they run past Buddy's dad, and the dad's sitting at the table, and Buddy's like, <laughs> and I love how the dad or the Buddy goes, uh, "Oh, he won't help us." And then I yeah. love how the dad fucking he go like as they're running by, the dad goes, "Little bastard's right." <laughs> yeah, that's my dad. He won't help. He won't help us. <laughs> yeah, totally, and, dude. And, and then the dad gets that. eaten by the snake man. But like, I, I again. This is this is right. This is when I started thinking like I want to see like you know uh, like like The Outsider, you know, some sort of like twelve or thirteen episode miniseries on HBO yeah. because like I want to know what Buddy's dad like. Where did Buddy get this trauma? You know, they I feel like they're alluding to stuff here, but they don't. You don't ever really truly find out. No, you don't, and because he's he's the side character. Yeah, you know, it's it's getting you to the 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 climax of the movie, which is the president. Right. You know, and, and all the other people are kind of insignificant to an extent. Um, they, they kind of went into more detail with, uh, with the married couple than they do with buddy. Right. Backstory yeah. wise, which yeah. is kind of interesting. Uh, but anyways, yeah, they're running through the house trying to get out and Alex and buddy go to what, what appears to be like the basement, open up the door to the, to the basement. And there's this long staircase. And like you said, it's yeah, it's straight out of a Fritz Lang, German expressionistic style. Mm-hmm. 
uh, film where the, the, the stair, it's just a staircase, this long winding staircase going down rickety. It's so cool looking. I love it. It's a great shot because it, it looks scope wise. It looks like they shot this thing on a giant soundstage, you know, but it probably just used miniatures and then, you know, just kind of superimpose them or whatever in that one little spot on the staircase. Anyways, they're climbing down the stairs. Um, it cuts back to the snake man eating, Buddy's dad and now they're in the tunnels of like the basement but it looks like uh the tunnels of like you know the the, the college basically and the but, lights but are flick- i mean it's still a set like like there there's no straight corridors like it's still it was still built but yeah it looks like it looks like a building basement yeah yeah like you know or the the hallways in the in, in a mall like in the back yeah. where the you know the the the, the staff goes uh, lights are flickering and then suddenly the snake man surprises them, jumps out of nowhere. Uh, and Alex is fighting it and it scratches Alex and great, and, like uh, great cutting back between like stop motion, which I yeah. mean, guys, I, I, I will take stop motion over CGI any fucking day of the week. I think it looks, I, I love it. it. It looks tactile, it looks physical, you know? And, yeah. uh, but I think this movie, th- this scene specifically does a great job of, cu- of, of cutting back and forth between the miniature stuff and then the, the suit stuff, you know? Yeah. It's really cool because, you know, you think about like classic Ray Harryhausen stop motion shit and clash of the Titans with, um, with Medusa. Yeah. And I feel like this, this is like a step above that. Yeah. And that already looks really badass. It just, yeah, it's so cool looking. And Alex knows that buddy's got to be the one to, to defeat the snake man in his dream. So, um, you know, Alex like yells at buddy to grab an ax and buddy grabs the, grabs an ax from the ground. And he's like, you know, get it, get it, buddy, get it. And he's basically holding on to the snake man while yeah. buddy gets this ax and he starts chopping at the snake man, which is great. Yeah, He's pretty, chopping, pretty violent. Chopping. Yeah. And then he and then he chops the head off the snake man. And this is really interesting because once he chops the head off, the head falls down like this long ton um like a well a well hole. Yeah. And normally I would be like, well, there was no well hole in that scene. They didn't show it, but this is a dream. It works. And so the dream you can go anywhere yep. with this, which again I think is gets a gets a pass because you're like, no, this this is super abstract. Yep. They yep. could have done anything. This could have suddenly just done a 180 and they were sitting on a sitcom set yeah. and laughing and that's the end. And it would be like, that's all folks. Yeah. You know? I mean, to, uh, just, they could just have... look at the, all of the, the entire nightmare on Elm street, uh, you know, any movie in, in the, any entry in the series and you'll see like you can do anything. So yeah, when he cut, when buddy cuts off that snake dude's head and it falls down the, the well or whatever, I, I didn't even question it. I was like, yep, there you go. That's how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, it's great. And, um, and after that he chops the head off, the head goes down the tunnel or the, the, the well hole and buddy wakes up and Alex wakes up and, and he hugs, he like immediately rushes over to Alex. He's like, we did it. We did it. He's gone. He's gone. And they're and Alex, buddy's sweaty and crying. And Alex is like reassuring him and he's, he's sweating too. And it's a great end cap to that scene. Cause it's like, okay, buddy's going to be okay. Now. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's 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 conveniently wrapped up, but you know, I don't mind. It it doesn't bother me. Yes, I wish there was a bit more uh, you know, to it. Um maybe even just Buddy should have been the ultimate goal. Like I would have been fine with that too, but but I'm also fine with how the movie is. So, you know, 
okay, that's fine. But yeah, this is this falls under that category of yeah, I think that they could expand upon this if they did something else with it. But for what it is, it absolutely works. Totally. So from there, we cut to the next day. I'm assuming it's the next day. Uh, we're in like the lounge, the cafeteria. Alex is watching a news report about the about the president being on a retreat gathering. And he's getting ready for uh, talks with Russia. Yeah. Kind of alluding to what's going on right now. And, you know, Alex is sitting at a table and he's drawing Snake Man. <laughs> my, my note here is, oh, Dennis Quaid is left-handed. He's, he's left-handed. Makes sense. I'm left-handed. Are you? I don't have a body like that. Are you? Yeah, I am. Okay, actually. I didn't know that. Huh. Lefties do it right, brah. So, uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Tom fucking, I'm from this point on, I'm going to be like, fucking Tommy. Tommy mm-hmm. walks up and he's like, what are you, a cartoonist? He's like such a dick. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, he's just a dick. Yeah. He, yeah. And he's like, what you, you he's like, <laughs> I, I, for me, my homeboy Terry will say that I do a spot on impression, uh, a spot on impression of, David Patrick Kelly and the Warriors was like, mm, it wasn't us. It was them. It was the Warriors. No! <laughs> you know, the whole deal. Um, but, you know, he walks up and he's like, you got these jerks thinking you can walk on water. Probably makes you think you're pretty important around here, huh? Pro- probably as important as me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Alex is like, kind of basically blows him off. Alex crushes up the piece of paper uh the the sketch and throws it in the trash and he and he and he leaves and then tommy grabs the piece of paper out of the trash and he's looking at it and you're like oh this motherfucker yeah he's gonna do something with this yeah because he said something he's like oh that must have scared you real bad you know and and alex is like yeah whatever and kind of crumples it up throws away so yeah he's he's tuning in on that yeah yeah so clearly wants to fuck with him later from there alex goes to devry's office and Jane, and he wants to take her out for dinner, but she turns him down and she's like, I'm not going to sleep with you, Alex. And he's like, I didn't talk about sleeping with you. I just want to take you out for a date, you know? And she's like, the program comes first. And he goes and, and he's like, okay, fine. And he like leans in to, and he kisses her. Well, yeah. Cause all right. So yeah, he lean like, he does something like just friends. He, he says like, okay, just friends. And she's like, sure. And she goes to, oh, he goes to th- shake her hand, shake her, he pulls hand, her hand and he kisses her and he yeah. fucking kisses her. And I was like, Okay, I, I I feel like that's crossing a little bit of a line. It's going to get worse later, but re-watching it, knowing what comes later, like now watching this scene, having yeah. watched the movie the day prior, now I'm looking at this scene in a new light and saying, oh, Alex, you're you're a little bit... That that's just not right. Like, either way, like, yes, uh, yes, she has hots for you. It doesn't mean that you have the right... To, to do that you know what i mean no and, and and if it ended here it would be playful and fun but it doesn't end here no and in the 2020 lens it it's not cool uh back in the day when i was a little kid i was like oh yeah it's cool you know like i thought oh he oh, he, he can you know he's getting away with what he wants no right. it's not cool you don't do that it's disrespectful it's, clearly it's, it's disrespectful and it's it's like fucking privilege it's it's white privilege yeah it's white privilege yeah yeah uh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> from there, <laughs> from there, we cut to the village pub, uh, and we're back at the village pub. 
where everybody knows your name. <laughs> and Alex gets surprised by Charlie Prince, who, uh, n- n- pun intended, about Stephen King, because it's it's George Wentz's character, and he writes horror books. He gives uh, Alex one of his books to look at. He's like, oh, yeah, you write these horror books, yeah. Prince knows about the program that Alex is doing. And he's like, you know, you, do you know about Bob Blair? And he, Bob Blair's the head of the CIA. And uh, it, this is Prince telling Alex this. And Prince thinks that Blair is using the program for nefarious reasons. Um, and and he's just getting paranoid about it. He's trying to tell Alex, he's like, you know, would you mind basically getting digging up some dirt for me? And then he sees a dude watching the two of them. He's like, uh, I'll be right back, Alex. I, I, I got to go to the bathroom. And he just splits. And I do like what, what George Wentz's character says. He's like, presidents come and go, Bob Blair remains. And I was yeah. like, that's actually, I mean, that's applicable to today. Like, that's a... I was like, that's pretty cool. That was that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, like George Wentz's character is supposed to be the knowledge character. He's for for our main protagonist, he is the knowledge character. My only problem, and, and it's not a problem that, that took any kind of enjoyment away from the movie. I just wish we knew his source because he knows so much, you know? Yeah, so he's a horror writer. But he, he's like, oh, I'm writing this new novel about he basically starts describing what Alex is doing. And Alex is like, oh, that sounds like a scary story or whatever. Um, yeah, you don't get you don't get where his sources come from, but he's knowledgeable about what's going on. It's a cool like side character to kind of get you from A to B. Yeah, it's basically yeah. that's all he serves the purpose of is is for is is for the stakes to to feel higher than what they are, because without Prince being that character that you said. Um, it would not be as intense up to this point of, as to like what's gonna ha- be eventually happen right in the story. Yes, but from there, you know, yeah. So Prince is gone. Um, Alex goes back to Jane's office, and she's asleep, and he decides to go into her dream, Oof. and cuts into the dreamscape of Jane. And Jane's on a train, uh, and she will not eat in a box with a fox. And Jane's looking very hot. She's looking very hot, and she's going on a trip, and there's a train conductor who takes her ticket, and he leaves, and as he leaves, you see Alex is there, about to come into her um, caboose. (laughs) And, uh, And so he goes in there, and they start making out. Well, uh, we should note that they're they do encounter another dream person where taking their tickets, you know, and we'll see well, him later. Yeah, but we don't know that yet. Oh yeah, okay, gotcha. So 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 the train conductor takes their tickets. Note the train conductor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, don't forget him. It's very interesting. It's a cool idea. We'll we'll get to later. Uh, yeah, and she and they basically just start going at it in the tr- in the scene, and you know they're making out. And then basically having sex. Uh, so this is the version we saw, which is fairly tame. A lot of moaning, a lot of sexy sex going on. It's a pretty hot scene. Doesn't need any of the nudity. But again, we go back to the point of they cut this scene. And they. Y- you want to talk about that. Was yeah, there ahead. nudity in this one too? There is. There is. There's scene where like he and they, they cut this too, where he's like opening up her dress basically. Wow. And you see like. 
a little more than what you do see. It's it's a more fuller shot, uh, and that was very much visible in the original cut. Wow! Just side side shot, you know. Wow! And 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 then you know he brings over to the bed and or the the sofa or whatever, and they start going at it. Uh, so yeah, in the version we see, you basically see it from like kind of from the high chest up so Mm -hmm. you don't see any nudity but there is there is a there's slight nudity in this scene damn um yeah and again it speaks to this idea of like you know uh lucas has the right to go in and alter his film right he does but this you took you took this guy's movie and you changed it for an a sanitized audio. I don't know if this was the studio's decision after the fact, but this is not the version that I ever saw as a kid. I've never seen this version, which is really frustrating to me. This is a, a TV cut from, from what my understanding is. So I don't know like what goes on behind the scenes. I almost feel like, and if you know, the Friday the 13th box set is any indication, I feel like it's human error. I feel like whoever was the project manager for, for this, for dreamscape fucking didn't know the movie and got the, the, you know, the TV print or whatever. And it was like, this is good enough or, or, or I don't know, or this is the only print that they could find. Maybe the, the original is gone. I don't know, but all I know is I want my fucking nudity, man. Like, <laughs> come on. Look. And I know you tried, yeah. so I'm not mad at you, but give I me my tried, goddamn nudity. And, yeah. And, and I'm really, it's, it, it is frustrating just from a, a purist standpoint, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it's, um, it's, it's like, it, it's just as bad as when, you know, they, they, they changed the music in something because they didn't get the rights to it. Yeah, then th- don't release it. You yeah, know? I think don't, I think it, Return of the Living Dead one or two had that issue. Uh, they fixed it, you know, for the Shaw Factory release. But the DVD, I believe, for Return of the Living Dead was notorious uh, for for having a different soundtrack or something. Or there was part two or whatever. But yeah, you hear about that shit. Um, I didn't know about this one. So tr- up until now. I thought what we were seeing was the version that everyone else saw, saw because also too it's PG thirteen, so I wasn't expecting nudity. But now knowing what I know that you know, I'm like, oh, that's sad because I want my well, goddamn nudity. It reminds me of the notorious Swamp Thing cut yes. that was released by MGM, yep. which I own the original version of that. And uh, for those that don't know, the original version, which goes for quite a bit of money on eBay, for good reason. Um, features Adrian Barbeau in more scenes than maybe were intended. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I, God, Jesus Christ, I don't even remember. It was online uh, or it was another podcast or something. I was talking to somebody, and they were, it might have been Tim and Dean or talking back, I can't remember. Um, but somebody was saying how Swamp Thing felt like an erotic thriller, but, but you know, there's no nudity in it. I'm like, well, it probably feels like an erotic thriller because it actually was originally, you know, like like there was that nude scene in it. And it's interesting that a person, again, I wish I knew who it was. I, I kind of feel like it was Dean. Um, but it's, it's, it's interesting that the person who saw it didn't know about the nude scene, but yet still cued in on the fact that it, it was shot like kind of an erotic thriller. Just like how I cued in on in Mortal Kombat that I was supposed to know who the actor was who played master boyd you know talking to johnny cage but i didn't know who it was so it just felt weird because i was like why am i 
why is the visual language telling me I should know him? You know, I find these these things are interesting, to be honest with you, because it tells you that the that the that the language works. But sometimes if you don't know what the context is, you miss it. But still, as a viewer, you're like, I'm picking up on something, but I don't know what it is. Well, this movie definitely could have been considered an erotic thriller uh with those heightened scenes because it's it's kind of a long love scene it goes on for a couple minutes actually or about a minute and a half it's 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 long and you know with and and i guess originally they 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 were intending it to be a a more graphic scene uh but kate capshaw had acne that day and so they had to shoot around it um uh to cover that up so which is kind of a fun fact that i just pulled from some random site um anyways yeah fun well, fact well so there you go yeah well let's let's talk about the fact that that man is this is this whole thing problematic like well, so okay so as a kid i will say really quick as a kid i was like oh yeah that's cool is it going in a dream and again it's weird that i was a kid thinking about this stuff um yeah, it's really fucked up. Yeah, it's really fucked. Up. And and she she acknowledges it on one level. It's a very tame '80s male perspective because she does wake up from her dream pissed. Yeah, she. Uh, she's yeah, like, you we have should, no we, right to do that. Yeah, we we should right. Let's talk about it after you finish the this little this scene and and okay. conversation. So so yeah, so they're going at it, and then Devries is slowly waking up on her couch, and she looks over and sees Alex across from her. And she's pissed. Rightfully you know, she's so. Like, you had no right to do that. And he's like, Jane, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It just happened. You know, he's like, but we both wanted it. And uh, and she's like, well, Alex, we got to, you're right. We both wanted it, but we got to forget about it. Uh, you know, and and then and then kind of buttons up the scene by saying, you know, you need, you need, to, for, you need to let everything go you're forgetting one major thing that I did. I was able to get into your dreams without being in the lab. You know, that was the big kind of next lead into the rest of the movie. Right. But this scene in particular is very violating. Yeah. So, you know, I, I watched it uh, with my wife the, the first time and right away she's like, Oh, this is not good. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah. And then, you know, I mean, first off, I'll say I don't believe Alex, the the character, had malicious intent when he did it. Yes, it's a violation to just jump into someone's dream without them knowing it, but I don't think that he had malicious intent doing it. That's the only saving grace. Everything else about it is pretty fucking bad, man. I mean, it. It's. I mean, and yes, her character, uh, uh, Jane, says. You know, I mean, and I feel like it was, it's like such obvious like dialogue that they had to put in because she's like, you know, obviously, you know, because of the dream, we both are attracted to each other. So like, like, obviously I want basically her saying, like, obviously I wanted you to do this, but it was still a violation. And no, it's just a violation. There is no consent involved. Just like if you raped your wife, you can do that because your wife, you don't own her. She, she, you know what I mean? Like, like I say that because like people think that they can't rape their wife, but you know what I mean? Like, because, Oh, she's my wife. She should be given. No, if she doesn't consent, 
doesn't matter that she's your wife. She, you don't own her. Just like, yeah. just like she did not consent to you even jump in your dream. Even if, the, even if this scene didn't lead to sex, she didn't consent to you jumping into her dream. So no, and yeah, and I think it it gets away with. I think it tries to play off the fact that it's like, but it's Dennis Quaid, and he's got a smile on his face, and he's cute, and you know, and it's okay. Yeah, no, guys, it's not okay. It's not. It's, it's, it's not okay. It's actually it not. It wasn't okay it, in '84. It was. It's not okay now. Exactly. I think now we're just you know whether we're the, whether you want to call it woke or what or just more fucking aware. How about just say that? Just, just yeah. We're aware that this is not cool. But but the point but the point that you just made I think should be emphasized. It's not that it's not okay in 2020. It wasn't okay in 1984 either. But but no. yeah, it's just the 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 way Hollywood was, and you know, it's yeah. But anyways, and we also talk about how yeah, this was a product of the times and everything. But in, in this case, in this case, I, I think it was bad even in '84. Truthfully, well. You know, and, and I think about like a movie like Creepshow Two, then the episode The Raft when That's uh, just as it? bad, but at least everyone gets what they deserve in that. Well scenario. that's what I'm gonna say, you know, Poncho or Cisco or whoever the, the younger guy was, the the more meek dude who's like basically, you know, the chick's asleep and he starts taking her top off and he wants to see her naked, which is it's so fucked up because you're like, yo, dude, this is this that's not cool. But yeah, he gets his comeuppance. She dies too, unfortunately. Uh, which she shouldn't have died. That sucks. But yeah, but he got his comeuppance because he deserved yeah. it. Because that's what should have happened. Yeah, Alex he's, he's doesn't a fucking sleeve ball. Yeah, and then and then you know Alex is portrayed as the cool guy. Like yeah. he gets what he wants at the end, and it is what it is in the sense that it's like, well, you know, clearly there was different priorities at stake back in 1984. They weren't they weren't looking at this and thinking. You know, we'll write that. We'll write that line in that this was she had. He had no right to do that, and it'll make it. That makes it okay. It doesn't make it okay, guys. So, you know, nevertheless, um, you know, it it allows this vehicle of him knowing he can go into someone's dream without having to be in the machine, which is what eventually, you know, we'll bring up very soon, because the next scene it's Bob and Paul Novotny talking about Bob Bob's trying to convince Paul that he wants to bring the president to the call the Institute Institute to help him fix his his dreams and um, you know he's like can we can we help the president and Novotny's like well there's there's no guarantee you know and he's like why Bob why are you getting why are you getting involved in this and Bob's like because we're the only ones who can help very innocent right mm-hmm and he's like he's making decisions based on nightmares, and basically says there's a there's a funny line that just full out reveals Bob's intentions. He's like the president is going to emasculate our country, yeah, in Geneva because of his dreams, and you're like, dude, this is the problem with our fucking political system. It's like it's all about who's got the biggest bombs, you yeah. know, who's got the biggest guns, basically. It's who's got the Fuck biggest dick, guy. baby. Yeah, the BD, that BDE wants that BDE, <laughs> but meanwhile he's probably got a small dick. Yep. Uh, tiny, tiny dick energy, and uh, I'd say tiny dick energy is the one where like you want to have the biggest guns. Yeah. Because you have, and the big dick energy is like I don't give a shit. Yeah. Because you know you get, you know you got what you got it packing. Yep. That's packing. yeah, dude. BDE baby. <laughs> so from there, and and he's like he he wants basically he wants. Novotny to save the president. From there, uh, you cut to Mrs. Matusik, 
who's she? She's a little old lady, a little sweet old lady. She's in a chair in the dream lab. Mm-hmm. And next to her is Tommy. In the, in the, and they're going into their own dream lab, dreamscape. Uh, Alex shows up to talk to Jane DeVries. Again, another non-professional thing. Uh, well, at, at least Maxwell on Side Owl is like, I thought we were conducting a scientific experiment uh, here. I thought, yeah, what's, what's going on here? We need to think. This is not the place or time where this should be going on. Look, so uh, look, look at my big blonde mustache. Yes. Do you like my mustache? <laughs> let's talk about Ming. Uh, let's, it's a Minger. So anyways, um, from there, while they're kind of having their little tete-a-tete, uh, Tommy's giving a heart attack to Mrs. Petrusik. <laughs> <laughs> so basically killing this little old lady. Uh, <laughs> Does... Does Tommy kill that little old lady, or does Kate Capshaw kill that little old lady when she Bye. slams her fist down on her, on her <laughs> yeah. sternum? And it looks like the actress, the like the lady actress, like reacts to it. Yeah. So Tommy wakes up from his dream, and and DeVries walks in, and she's trying to, uh, per, she's trying to do CPR. It's not CPR. She basically yeah hits her on the chest. <laughs> Like, that's not how you do CPR, folks. Not. Do not take CPR classes from watching Dreamscape. And uh, Alex is watching Tommy from from the sound booth, I guess. Uh, And Tommy's got this big smirk on his face. And then from the next scene, Alex is... uh, Tommy's at... In the cafeteria, eating a sandwich, and Alex goes to confront him. And and I like this is another example of I like how they handle uh, telekinesis here or, or psychic abilities. There's no music cue, no nothing, but the fact that Tommy doesn't turn around and he's like, "Hi, Alex." Like he just yep. knows who he is. I love how nonchalant they show off the psychic abilities. Yeah, yeah, it's that's a very cool point. I didn't even think about that. That's a really, it's a really good point. Um, and you know, he's like, "Can you leave me alone, Alex? I'm really shook up right now." <laughs> you know, and Alex is like, "You killed her," and he's like, "Oh, she must have had a bum ticker." And uh, Alex is like, "Well, if you're so shook up, it didn't affect your appetite." And <laughs> I, I drink, I, I eat to forget, is what he says. Yeah, I, and that's when Alex grabs his hand because he's about to take another bite. And I love this. This is when Tommy says, you know, let go. Or are you going to draw back a stump? Yeah. I love that. I love that. And and he's like, everybody dies. Yeah. Everybody dies, Alex. This is such a fantastic scene. I mean, I, uh, David Patrick Kelly crushing it. Totally, totally crushing it. And Alex is like, Alex is pissed. And uh, at this point, you know, is he the villain? Because... <laughs> He tried to rape Jane, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, so he, he's the hero. And uh, from there, you cut back to Paul Novotny and Jane DeVries with Bob as they're prepping the president's room, uh, getting it set up for the president's arrival. And Bob's like, oh, no, 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 this is all wrong. I, I want him in the North Wing. And Paul's like, well, no, it doesn't make sense. It makes no sense at all to have him over there. And and Bob's like, well, it's for security purposes. And Novotny's like, no, then then he should be here because it makes more sense for him to be on this side. of. He, he, we can get him out of the building faster if he's in this room. And he's like, wait, well, Bob, what are you doing? Like, he starts questioning his motives, yeah. basically. And Novotny's suspicious. Yeah, so what I never got an answer to, did, did they 
actually move him? Like, d- does the president get moved? I they never did. really. Okay. They did because Bob. Bob's like, I'm in charge. I'm running this okay. show. Okay. They you never know? showed it though, so okay. They so, didn't show it, but it's alluded to because. Okay. And, and then you, you never right like, next- and you never like see that hallway again. So like, I couldn't really tell if it was the same room because they do the establishing shot here, but then he tells him he has to move it, and then you don't do an establishing shot where it goes to. So like, yeah. I didn't know if they, if he actually moved him or not. I couldn't really tell. No, they. I mean, they they don't show it happen, but I think it's pretty obvious because Bob's yeah. like, I'm in charge, you yeah. know. So you have to do what I say. From there, the big reveal: Bob goes to visit Tommy. And he walks into Tommy's room <laughs> with all the ninja posters, ninjas and Bruce Lee. <laughs> and just you can tell this kid is very much into mar- into the martial arts. It's such a product of the 80s. I mean, we, we talked yeah. about that extensively on our Ninja 3, the Domination review. Uh, check that one out if you have not. And how basically how big ninjas were back in the 80s. Totally. I mean, it's ninjas everywhere. And, and, and Tommy's Tommy's like. He's he's like a teenager or maybe a late teenager, early twenties perhaps. Yeah, I wasn't and, quite uh, sure like how he how old he was supposed to be. I'm gonna say he's like twenty one. Okay. So probably a little bit younger than Alex, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. And uh this yeah, so the poster's on the wall and, and Bob walks in, he's like, you know, how's my boy? Basically treating him like a son. Um and and he's looking at Tommy and Tommy's kind of like you know, very like attitude angsty and uh and bob's like you know are you are you basically asked him if he's on drugs you know, he's like are you on anything he's like i don't i don't touch drugs i'm, I'm fucked up enough as it is yeah 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 he said i'm messed up as a, i'm messed up enough as it is and uh and tommy wants to leave he's like i want to get out of here he's like you promised you have big plans for me and bob's like oh i do oh, oh i do oh i do and you cut from there back to alex sneaking into paul's office and he's breaking into Paul's files and he grabs Tommy's file and he's looking through Tommy's file. And what does he see? A big headline on a newspaper ad that says um, psychic, ale- what, self-proclaimed psychic kills father. Yeah. And then you turn, he turns that newspaper clipping over and there's a photo of his dead dad with the chalk line around him. It's creepy as shit. This used to scare the hell out of me as a kid because it, it's a dead body, it, and it looks terrifying. His dad, whoever plays the dad, it just it's very vacant, and oh, it always leaves me kind of shuddered whenever I see it. So that's like the big reveal. Oh, shit, Tommy killed his own dad. Yeah, and right? it's cool because like it's good that he saw that because later on he's going to you know use that against Tommy, but he had to yeah. – had to, he had to see – and it, it, it's because it's it's interesting because now now Tommy has the Snake Man in his back pocket, but Alex has Tommy's dad in his back pocket, and they're both gonna you play those cards in the climax. Yeah. So where I go with this is like world building wise. Alex is obviously like, who the fuck is this Tommy guy? You know, what's his story? And he goes to Paul's office to to, to do some digging on him not knowing that he's going to find out that Tommy actually killed his dad. Yeah. And then there's a photo of the dead dad, like, like a crime scene photo, which yeah. is really interesting that they have a crime scene photo in the file, but it makes sense if, if this, if, if it's tied to the CIA and the CIA has answers for everything. Yeah. Um, from there, you go back to Alex meeting Charlie 
uh, at on campus at the school, like very mysteriously. And it's funny because ch- you can Charlie wants to, you know, Charlie Charlie's like, I'm sorry about all this cloak and dagger stuff. Yeah, know, basically meeting in private. But I'm like, dude, you're wearing a fucking red hat. It's it it you're kind of screaming, look at me with a red St. Louis Cardinals hat on. If you wanted to be more discreet, you should have been wearing a black hat. Yeah. You know? Uh, side note: It always bums the hell. It always pisses me off when I see characters in movies, especially in like the Marvel movies, when they're undercover and they're wearing a blank baseball cap. <laughs> Do you know anybody that wears a blank baseball cap? <laughs> no one does. I that know. is like the biggest generic, uh, weak subplot to me. Always I'm like, just put a fucking Giants hat on. You yeah. know, I think in Ant Man they did that. Like they actually. That they got it right. They uh, they were wearing Giants hats at, uh, in Ant Man and Wasp, in like one of the Avenger movies. Captain America's wearing like a just like a bl- basic black hat. I'm like who fucking owns a basic black hat? What yeah. can you find? You can't even find that in Walmart. You know? I know. I, I fucking I hate rights issues, man. Remember like back in the day, like fucking yeah. we were. What was it? The the stuff where like he has like Return of the Jedi shit everywhere. Like yeah, all the, dude. Like, because as a kid, because like you know, back in the eighties, you could be like, oh, he's a kid. He's gonna have Star Wars shit. Let's just have Star Wars shit. And it's like I don't know. I'm sure there's more to it, but I feel like the the regulations were a little bit more oh, lax man. by back then. You know. Like it's just the fact that everyone wants to everyone wants to get paid for everything they do, you know, and it, and and it, that's it's annoying because it's like, come on, can we just have, can we just be like, yeah, you can use my shit, cool, go for it, you know, yeah, you know, someone plays a song on a on a on an iP- on an, on a podcast episode and suddenly they're getting a cease and desist letter. You're like, yo, that's not cool. Anyways, that's my little soapbox. <laughs> I'll get off it now. Back to the movie. Anyways, so Alex meets um, Charlie Prince on campus mysteriously and alex says you know tommy killed this old lady and uh miss matusek and bob's like yeah or uh, charlie goes yeah bob wants assassins yeah he he wants basically that's what he's that's what this whole program is is to create assassins Uh, in bob's opinion not paul novotny's opinion oh right yeah right yes yeah right and and so and and i i like that i i like where this like goes like that makes well, scanners sense. scanners did that I, scanners was that you know i don't know never seen it what <laughs> you've got to see scanners dude scanners I, to me i scanners know is um it's like it, it has elements of star wars in it uh it's got elements of hey, dreamscape okay. in it so so obviously i know a lot about scanners i've seen you know the famous stuff but ultimately i have absolutely no clue what scanners is about i don't know if uh, michael ironside is a good guy or a bad guy i don't know why that guy's head explodes in front of a bunch of people it's, oh, you it's gotta watch it. i i i want to watch it and at this point it'll just probably it'll be for the podcast you know and maybe maybe i'll even just suggest it just so i can fucking see it but at this point i've gone 42 years without seeing scanners I'm just saving it now for the podcast. Like I want my full reaction to just be on on air without giving anything away. I will tell you that it is so much more than that one head explosion scene 
Uh, of that, so of that, I have no doubt. But I truly <laughs> have absolutely no idea what that movie's about because I've never even like read the synopsis. I don't know oh, anything about it. So I'm, I'm actually just kind of hoping when I see it, it'll just be. I just want to. I'm waiting. I'm just waiting for it to be the right time. Yeah, you'll. Yeah, I think you're gonna love it. Oh, I but. again, and that too, I have no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> So from here, back to back to our movie, uh, you know, Charlie's like, look, there's some nasty shit going down. And Alex is like, we got to we got to stop this. And then they see agents moving in on them, yep. CIA agents. Hmm. And they look and see the agents. And then a pep rally busts out That's right good. near them, like by Phi Kappa Delta or whatever. Cue uh, the most like... <laughs> <laughs> convenient Random pep rally? randomly convenient pep rally ever yeah so they're in the middle now of this giant pep rally which just happens to be red and white the same hat colors as charlie's hat so he kind of fits right in uh and they're and you know alex is like stay with me charlie stay with me and alex is uh alex and charlie are trying to get out and they get separated two agents grab alex and another agent comes up behind Charlie and blasts him with a silencer. And that's Alex is like, Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. Echo, echo, echo. I did not see Shocking. that coming. That was fucking awesome because they do like a slow-mo and like he, he, he like the, the agent reaches around norm. And I mean, you just see norm get fucking shot in the chest. And I was like, Oh fuck. Like that yeah. was, that was devastating it was it was it was well done like i like the the build up i i i I thought they were gonna get away man no fucking clue fucking norm was gonna get shot and then like squib and everything like blood packet and everything just gets shot and like carried off and like in the middle of a crowd no one notices because they're all pep rallying you know it was awesome dude that was fucking awesome yeah, it was shocking. It's definitely a shocking moment because they're like, oh, no, it's such a cool character. <laughs> Stephen King, no! Stephen King, no! Thank God Stephen King's still alive. Yeah. Um, yeah, so from there, Alex gets shoved into a car, and who's in the car but Bob? Bob. Bobby. Bob, Bob, Bob. Bob. And, uh, and so, you know, Bob's like, Bob basically confesses to having Tommy kill Matusik. This, this is the villain monologue. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's and he's great. Gonna, yeah, does this whole monologue. He's like... Bob, who sounds very much like every typical politician, you know, says, I'll do whatever I have to to keep this country safe and to keep peace in our country. And uh, and Bob reveals he's like, you can die in your dreams and you can you can go in your enemies dreams and kill them in their sleep and no one will even know. Yeah, because he even says like, yeah, this is where it's yeah, it's it's that whole thing where it's like. Oh, the old wives' tale is true. When you when you die in your dream, you die in real life, right here. You know, like at the exact yep. same time. You know, uh, uh, Tommy stabbed her in the heart with a dream knife, and with she had, knife, and yeah. she died in real life. So we now know that you know the old wives' tale is true, and now we can create an army of soldiers who can assassinate pe- people in their dreams. Pretty much, yeah. And and Bob's like, look, you can either work with us or you can die. Straight up. Straight up. You either work with us or you die. That's it. That's pretty cut and dry. And before Alex, before the driver has a chance to lock the doors in the car, Alex. <laughs> driver. Call him by the... his goddamn name. It's Babcock, motherfucker. Sorry. Before Babcock and 
Finch. Finch and Babcock. <laughs> Finch and Babcock. Have a chance to lock the doors again like they did earlier to Alex. He busts out the door and escapes, uh, rolls down a hill, uh, runs to an to a open road, and there's a motorcyclist coming down the road that's hilarious. The motorcyclist comes down the road, and he's flagging <laughs> the guy down, and the guy tries to stop, and he slides, and he basically skids out on the road and uh, falls off his bike. And Alex runs over to the guy on the bike. He's like, are you okay? And the guy's like, yeah, I think so. He's like, oh, good. And he takes the guy's motorcycle and he runs and takes <laughs> off with it. <laughs> I love that. He, I love that he asks if he's okay. He's like, you okay? Yeah. You okay? He's like, yeah, I'm fine. All right, good. I'm stealing your bike. <laughs> I'm stealing your fucking bike. Which is funny. It's yeah. true. I would yeah. do the same thing. Yeah. Um, it, you know, circumstances pre- presented themselves. And from there, you cut back to the agent saying they lost... Alex and Bob's like, well, then he he must be killed. Like, pretty much straight up. <laughs> Time to die. Time to die, Bobby. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. October 31st, 1981. It's the night of the party at Jerry's Arcade. It's the night all the kids have been waiting for. It's the night they have been waiting for. There's a new game at the arcade. It's killer. Polybius. From David Irons, the writer of Nightwaves, the real terror begins. Polybius. Available now from Severed Press. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La la la. And now, back to the show. Cuts to the president arriving at the college, and he's greeted by Bob, open arms, all happy and shit. Uh, And then you cut to the next day, back at the racetrack, uh, at a phone booth, Alex is calling DeVries, and he's telling her what's happening. He kind of gives her, like, the the play-by-play rundown. Uh, And then DeVries is like, well... You know, Paul, Paul thinks the president's in danger, too. And Alex is like, yeah, he is. He's going to try to kill the president. And while Alex is in the racetrack, you see and while he's in the phone booth, you see a car in the distance and watching Alex. My thing was like, why didn't you just 
car, like to the guys in the car, why didn't you just drive now? Like, why, why wait? You know, they, they oh, the, wait the for scene is Swiss <laughs> cheese. It has so many yeah. holes in it, dude. Yeah. They, 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 they're like, we have to wait for, for the conversation to end because that's the plot point before we can go. Whereas the, if they knew it was him, they should have just gone. Yeah. I mean, there's a, th- this is, this has got a lot of holes in it, but it, it kind of gets you, it's a silly scene on one level and on another level, it's kind of cool. Um, uh, yeah, it's it, it's fun. It's it's flawed but fun. Yes, flawed but fun. I like that. A, a masterpiece, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, Alex is like, I'm coming back to the school, and DeVries says, Well, I'll leave a door unlocked for you in the loading bay or wherever she says. And um, was that a euphemism he, for her vagina? Basically, everything <laughs> is at this point. And so he gets off the phone with her, and he sees the car approaching, and it's about to drive through the phone booth and of course he can't get the phone booth door open he's fumbling with that it's like typical kind of ham-handed we've seen all this cliche before he gets out just before the car drives through the phone booth and he runs off uh and he runs into the racetrack Mm-hmm. And oh, well, he, wait, he the, doesn't run. He's he's taking. He's driving his, oh, sorry. his motorcycle. He's back on his bike. And, and I love how <clears throat> I love how like he, when he first drives off. Well, for, first off, all throughout the scene, uh, Dennis Quaid he doesn't do the stunt driving, but he does. You can tell does do some of the the motorcycle driving with without like a, a helmet and everything, and which is sure. pretty impressive. Um, but he does do some of it. But I love how here when he gets on the motorcycle and drives, he, he it's like it's so weird. Like it's it's too fast for him, so his legs kind of are like a little wonky and everything. But yeah, and then he kind of eventually drives into uh, uh, the the stadium and, and bumps into his old bookie friends. His old bookie friend Sneed. That and I finally wrote it down because he says yeah. the, the guy's name. It, the guy's name is Sneed, and uh, and at that point they, they grab him and they're like, "Hey, you know." Oh, and so Sneed is a uh, yeah. By the yeah, so this guy, his, his the actor's name is Redmond Gleason. I'm surprised I looked him up, and he was in the Octagon in Young Guns too. So very cool. Okay, very uh, little fun fact. And, so and. Yeah, and I like this scene w- with Sneed. I, I like this because I I always like in movies where uh, uh, adversaries can have a moment to like talk. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because Sneed's basically like, you know, I want my money, Alex. And Alex is like, look, if you help me out, I'll give you X amount of bets it's, on the next race. He's like, hey, I'll give you three winners. Sneed's like six. He's like, no, five. You know? So yeah, they yeah. they land on that. Sneed's like, if you screw me over, I'll kill you. But like. I love that, like Sneed's like or, or Alex, like, all right, just yeah, we'll, we'll agree to that. You 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 hold those guys off, you know, buy me some time, basically. I like the fact that Sneed agreed to it, and then Sneed did it, meaning he's honorable, like he's yeah. an honorable bad guy. That's so interesting to me, to be honest yeah, with you. Yeah, no, that was cool. That's cool. Yeah, because because uh, Alex takes off, and the agents come in, and and Sneed's on his. Basically, they're they're where the jockeys horses are kept mm-hmm. uh, horse stalls and Sneed's on a horse. He looks like a jockey cause he's so tiny. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, Hey, yo, get out of the way, you know? And, and the agents are kind of trapped for a moment. They, uh, they, and they can't find Alex. And then Alex is on the racetrack, uh, on the actual physical racetrack, trying to get away from the agents. The agents are now on the track as well, shooting at him, yeah. uh, driving their car 
however they got the car on the racetrack, who knows? It, it's one of those mo- scenes where it's like, it's so implausible. But what I did like was while he's shooting, while they're shooting at Alex, Alex is weaving with his bike. He's not just riding straight on, which is typical yeah. movies where they just ride straight on. He's trying to kind of weave away so they can't get a good shot on him, which is cool. Yeah. Um, and Alex rides off the track into like basically a staircase, rides down a staircase and this is this is another scene that's silly because he rides in the staircase. There just happens to be hay bales at the base of the staircase, yeah, so yeah. his bike lands in the staircase and he lands in the hay bale, so he's safe. Yeah, doesn't get hurt. Um, whatever. It, it's one of those scenes where you're like, oh come on, why the fuck would there be hay bales? It it is the area where the horse stalls are, so maybe but, they just no, happen to dump them. It was still at the bottom of a stairwell that you and I would use, like as as patrons of that racetrack. It's yeah. it's just a movie thing uh, in the eighties. You know, I, you know, it's so interesting too because we live in such a world where we can rewatch these movies over and over again. But yeah. I think movies, bef- you know, in the in the early eighties before VHS became really apparent. I mean. 84 is when, you know, home video was just taking off, you know, and it wasn't even going to get that mainstream until a little couple years later. So when you're making a movie like this and you block this scene out and everything at that time, there was no thought that you were going to that the audience was going to watch this movie anytime they wanted to rewind it anytime they wanted to and like pick it apart like it just that's the world we live in now but that wasn't the world that existed in the early 80s yeah no it didn't and and that's one of the things i love is where you just got to let it go you let it's it go like suspension of disbelief yep. at the end of the day it's like is this movie a good movie or not a good movie. It's like, it's a good movie with flaws. And and this is like a prime example of like, you know, there's a couple times where like I could tell that it was the stunt man, not, not Dennis Quaid, you know, and then this whole thing at the end. But ultimately this whole scene was fun. So who gives a shit? You know, it is a, it is a super fun scene. It's a fun chase scene. Mm -hmm. We needed this up to this point because, There was there was there was levels of tension, but not like an action set piece. Right. And this was an action set piece, which is which is good. It it it, it was effective for what it was, um, because from now we cut back to Novotny in his office, and he calls the president's room, and as soon as he does, it gets disconnected immediately. So he walks over to his files and he pulls out Bob's file, and uh, right as he pulls out Bob Blair's file, Bob appears. Mm. And Bob's like, is, there, is everything okay? Is there a problem? <laughs> and Novotny's like, everything concerns me now, you know. And Novotny confronts Bob about the president. Um, and Bob's and Novotny's like, you know, no, this is over now. We're done. And Bob says, well, fine. You know, no one's gonna believe believe what you, uh, you know, no one's gonna believe you for 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 your theories as to what because Novotny's kind of laying out what he thinks is gonna Bob's. Yeah. position is on this to, is to kill the president and and bob's like well no one's going to believe you and uh and Navani's like you know you took something vital and important and you corrupted it yeah and paul's like well you let me mm-hmm. which i love that because it's like yeah this is the problem with science and government working yep. together is is they get they equally get corrupted yep. because the government has one intention science has another and um, he, they were in bed together, mm-hmm. so they're both at fault. 
And I like, just like earlier, when Alex and Novotny sort of met back up for the first time, I like that Novotny was honest. And here he was like, yes, I did let you do that, but I'm going to stop it now, you know? Yeah, he, he, he never says, He never makes any kind of, like, like if, ands, or buts about it. He, he, he yeah. admits his faults, and I fucking love that about his character. Yeah, he says, he says, yes. He goes, yes, to my internal shame. Yeah. You know, and I love that line mm-hmm. where he's like, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed too. Mm. So Paul leaves his office and as soon as he walks out, he, he's followed by our good CIA agent buddies. And unfortunately, <laughs> Babcock and uh, Finch, Finch and Babcock. Babcock and Finch, Finch and Babcock. <laughs> and Alex shows up at this, it cuts to Alex showing up at the college. Uh, he sneaks in. He sneaks to the spot where DeVries told him the, 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 the gate was going to be unlocked or the door or whatever. It's locked. Uh, he's hiding for a minute because uh, agents are walking by with a dog. With, who, a, with the worst guard dog ever. Yeah, the fucking idiot dog because it doesn't even know he's standing right like six feet away from him. You stupid dog. Come on. And the dog's worse than Mutt or uh, Junkyard on G.I. Joe. No. That's my third G.I. Joe reference, I think, of tonight. You are inundated with G.I. Joe right now. I'm so inundated with G.I. Joe. I love it. I, I absolutely love it. I'm like, oh, my God. I love reliving all my 80s childhood. Oh, I can't wait to have son. a kid. It's so wonderful. Anyways, um, yeah, so the dog doesn't even fucking recognize <laughs> dog, that he's right there. The dog doesn't and then even I love do this, its job. Like, the door starts to open, and it's Jane. Yeah. Apparently, she... Uh, how oh, con- Alex, how, you, you're here now? How convenient <laughs> that it's right now. It's right at this moment. Yeah, it's 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 very loose writing. It's like, dude, trim trim this shit. Clean <laughs> it up a little, just a little bit. At least say, you know, back when he was on the phone with with Jane, he should have said, I'll meet you there at 745. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, yeah. something like that's all you had to do, dude. <laughs> and he checks his watch and, and then she could open the door and say, I'm sorry, I'm late. Right. She could have said that, but she didn't. And hindsight's 2020. Anyways, uh, DeVries shows up, uh, cuts to the president in bed. And then it cuts to Tommy and Bob, uh, Bob with Tommy. And Bob straight up says, he's like, you're going to kill the president tonight. And uh, and then Tommy's like, we're regular heroes, aren't we, Bob? <laughs> Man, that that scene, this scene is fantastic because, you know, you have Christopher Plummer, like kind of like looking off like he is a thoroughbred when it comes to like acting. He is a fucking yeah. master class. So, you know, he's getting the best out of David Patrick Kelly next to him. You know, this scene and David Patrick Kelly is a fucking masterclass master too. Exactly. So you got two fantastic actors, and this scene is just j- j- amazing. Just so gooey with acting. You know, it's yeah. it's awesome. Yeah, there's yeah, there's so much to yeah. The the the, the acting is top notch. I will say, there there is not one bad acting performance in this film. The script might be loose at times. You're <laughs> yeah, like, Ugh. yeah, but you know, and there, and there's been movies we've talked about in the past. So we're like, oh man, the act, the, their acting was so shitty. JCVD, uh, mm-hmm. that random cyborg. And <laughs> cyborg, but but the there is no doubt that every single actor, and let's be honest, A-list actors can turn in shitty performances in movies. This is not one of those cases. Yeah. Every actor does a phenomenal job in their role yeah. and is believable from T to B. Um, IMO. I'm just going to fucking enough with the acronyms. <laughs> Anyways, um, 
yeah, we cut back from there. We cut back to Alex and Jane, and they're sneaking up on. It looks like a little garage where the where station wagons parked, and they're, they 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 sneak up on the agents. Uh, well, uh, well, uh, Bab- Babcock Lee he goes. Babcock says he's going to go, uh, uh kind of just watch over. Uh, Tommy and 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 Bob so so Finch stays there yeah so so yeah they sneak up on the agents and Babcock who is uh Peter Jason you know with the white hair he's like hey yeah yeah, I'm gonna go watch the president and um, aka Master Boyd from Mortal Kombat (laughs) yeah you love it dude for me I'm like I love how you pull Mortal Kombat and I'm like well he was in fucking They Live and Prince of Darkness yep and to me that like that's what he stands out for to me but um yep anyways Yeah, he takes off, and Chris Mulkey, who plays Finch, you know, from The Hidden and Runaway, stays. And Alex comes up behind him, grabs his gun out of his out of his jacket, and puts it to his neck, and slams the door in his neck, kind of holding him against the car. Such a brutal it's move! It's a it's a fucking awesome move. Yeah, yeah. Th- this has again, this has elements of Scanners in the sense that they become kind of like. They're badasses. The people who have these abilities, these telekinesis. He's still he's a badass, right? Uh, because because they live on the fringe. They're like they don't connect with society, and they so they end up working with nefarious like gangster type people, which is what uh, Alex does. And if you do work with people shady sh- people like that, you've got to deal with circumstances that are harsh. Yeah. And so he's probably my world build is that he's probably had to deal with some weird shit in the past and he's got to learn to survive yeah. and be a tough guy. Yep. Uh, whether he likes it or not. So, um, as Alex is trying to milk, uh, Finch for answers, De- DeVries spots Novotny's body in the trunk of the station wagon. And, you know, she's like, Alex, come back here. And they pull, and he pulls, Alex pulls uh, Finch with him to the back of the station wagon. And Finch is like, I, I didn't do it. You know, he's like, of course you didn't. And uh, Alex says, you know, <laughs> this is the line. This is the line, right? This is the line where you thank God we have subtitles <laughs> because Alex says, what did he know, bitch? <laughs> <laughs> what did he know, bitch? And I love that line because I didn't even know he said bitch. And now... I have a controversial theory. I think he says, what did he know Finch? And the subtitleist wrote bitch, but I like bitch better. I agree with you <laughs> because, because the delivery doesn't call for the word bitch, <laughs> but he gave it uh, to him, but he gave it to him and I'm going to give it to him. Yes. I'm going to give him full credit. I'm going to say canonically, he says bitch. And I love it. I was like, <laughs> bitch. I mean, I, when I, I didn't, it didn't make me laugh the first time because I didn't have subtitles on. Second time when I watched it today, I had subtitles on. I was like, yeah, bitch. <laughs> I loved it. I loved he, it. He pulls a straight up Jesse Pinkman, dude. I love it. It's fucking Pinkman, yo. Oh, <laughs> Who would have thought in this day and age in 2020, that a tweaker like Pinkman in Breaking Bad, that that fucking character where people are just like, uh, any given day, a tweaker burnout character, people be like, yeah, whatever. Took a character like that and made it so cool <laughs> where people are just walking around like saying bitch all the time. Bitch. And, you know, <laughs> oh, man. man yeah. God bless well, the fucking creator of Breaking Bad, dude. That is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so Dennis Alex says, 
What do you know, bitch? What do you know, bitch? I even wrote at the bottom. I said, I love subtitles. I wrote my notes. Um, I mean, I, I wrote the whole th- I, I rewound it just to double check it. And uh, yeah, I, I I wrote it down and everything. Quotation after, marks and everything. After he says that, he does. He follows up again. He's like, he's like, what do you know, bitch? And he's like, what did he know? Tell me what he knows or something like yeah. that. Right? And Alex at that point or, um, uh, gets him to reveal Finch, gets Finch to Finch, bitch. To reveal his uh, the plans that they're going to kill the president, and he says, you know, the president is in the room next to Tommy, and, and he knocks him out. And I wrote on my notes, yeah, great, if, I love that. I, I did too. But if I was Alex, I would have stomped Finch's nuts a few times for killing fucking you know, like I I always Paul. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's like you know you you're in this world. Yes, Finch is the bad guy, and yes, you're the good guy. But like he just killed your friend, man. Like and you just knocked him out. I'd fucking stomp his balls. Like, why not, right? Yeah, I mean, Alex. I, I get that Alex is kind of like a selfish guy, and it's and it's the president. I think that maybe speaks to why they did the president versus like Bobby mm. uh, or Buddy. Mm. You know, like Buddy's this kid character, and Alex does care about him. But would he care about him that much? Um, to to but this is the president of the United States. It's like I gotta save the world. I gotta save the country, yeah. basically save the world. You know, because we we're such a huge power then, <clears throat> um, versus now. <laughs> Anyways, uh, from there, yeah, he knocks out Finchy, bitch, <laughs> and cut to the president asleep. And Tommy's about to go to sleep, and Alex and DeVries go to her office because she's like, my office is is the clo- it's right below the president's room. And you should have said, my office is conveniently right beneath the, conveniently. the president's and room. And also, my office looks like a library because <laughs> they go into the room, which it doesn't look like her office. Suddenly, it looks like a it looks like a library is what it looks. It's a r- lot bigger, yeah. deeper, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so this is interesting because. They run into the room and and you know she's got she's like Alex remember your breathing he's like I don't have time I and he did did he say fuck it I, I forget what he said but uh, he's like I'm not feeling anything but but he does do the breathing thing yeah which is interesting but before he lays down when they go into the room he stands up on a table and he puts his hands on the ceiling almost to like psychically link to it yeah and it's a really interesting moment where you're like. Okay, for me, I think they didn't give him enough backstory just yet to do that because he'd only psychically linked outside of the system once. Right, and 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 even to extrapolate further, when you know, spoiler alert, he kills Bob at the end. Like he wasn't even near him at that point. So like, you don't even like like I guess you could say okay, his powers are escalating, but then he's becoming godlike. But yeah, it's it's. I feel like they spent the entire movie saying you got to be in close proximity, and then at the end, anyways, we'll we'll get to that when we get to it. But yes, there are holes aplenty in this movie, uh, inconsistency aplenty. None of it takes away from the awesomeness that is this movie. No, because because that that stuff that happens at the end, I feel like he's so confident in his abilities at that point he feels like he can do whatever i'm just gonna give it to him yeah well and also this there's no i mean he doesn't have uh you know 
an instruction manual to his abilities. So yeah. he doesn't know what his abilities are, like what the extent of them are. And thus, thus we don't either. So all these things, just like with the dream sequences, having bad special effects and stuff, I can give him passes because you're like, okay, well, it's psychic abilities. We don't really, yeah. we don't really know. So whatever it's, it's, they, they, they definitely push the envelope of dealing with subject matters that sort of allowed them to push the envelope. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. Yeah. It totally does. And again, yeah, they get away with things that normally, you know, people would be uber critical about. Not so much in this one, in my opinion. Because from there, Alex, yeah, Alex lays down on the table and he starts breathing and he's able to calm himself down. And, you know, he's got sweet Jane sweet jane (laughs) whispering in his ear and cuts to the president's dream and it's an apocalypse setting the president's on a train and alex is across from the president and alex runs over to him and he says mr president your life's in danger and uh bob blair is responsible and he tells him that uh bob sent someone in to assassinate him and it's cool because you know they say uh, just you know right away he's like just wake up and yeah. uh, the president's and, like, uh, I think they gave me a sedative. Because, you know, like, it's like dream logic. So it's like the president isn't really, you know, uh, interacting like he would in, in in real life. There's still, like, dream logic yeah. to it. But he's still able to recall. And I like that. He's like, uh, they gave me uh, sedative. And so then, uh, you know, Alex is like, well, we're just going to have to ride this out, aren't we? Yes. Yeah. So basically they're in for the long haul and, and they're sitting on the train and and the president's like, you know, I caused all this. And Alex is like, no, you didn't cause this. This is just, this isn't true. It's just a dream. And that's when Tommy jumps into the train car. And uh, Tommy says, you know, he goes, oh, Alex, you're here. I get to kill two for the price of one. And then a cop shows up, a random co- uh, cop. Dream shows cop, up on the train. Yeah. He's like, what's going on here? And Tommy walks into the cop and flashes his fingers and their knife fingers. That's cool. And he jams them into the cop's chest and he rips his heart out. And I love when he does this because the heart's still beating and he starts listening to it. This is like full on, you know, David Patrick Kelly is best. Yes. And now this is now the DPK show. And uh, he's listening to the heart and he gets over to, he sits down next to the president and he says, Alex, have a heart. And he throws the heart at Alex. And Alex grabs a bar, like a random bar off the train to fight Tommy. And Tommy runs up to the front of the train car. And it's got like the crank to operate, whether it goes fast or slow. And he cranks it to go fast. And Tommy's like, this is, this is a dream, Alex. I could do whatever, anything I want. Yeah, I love that, man. He's like, yeah, he's like, haven't you realized yet? This is a dream. We can do everyone. It's like, he's like, when you were messing with uh, Max von Sydow's character, I was learning about what I could do in here. Dude, there's just, there's so much that you could do with this now. Like, yes, yeah. a remake. Like, there's just so much to mine here, but it's it's awesome. But what we have is is aw- is also awesome as well. Because, yeah, there's so much to mine here. I feel like they could have tacked on an extra five minutes because this yeah. this whole sequence goes pretty quickly. And this is the end of the movie. Yeah. Like, this is it. You yeah. Know? Uh, this is the climax. This is act three. So, yeah, Tommy speeds the train through a tunnel and everything goes black. When things start to get bright again, uh, the president and Alex are now in a different train car 
and they look around and there's all these radiated mutated kind of like zombie-ish uh passengers on the train yeah and, and they're like and tommy they're they're, they're they're like here's what i love that they, they they don't look like they're 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 specifically zombies that look like they've been irradiated there's yes. thought has been put into that and they look fucking horrifying absolutely horrifying yeah the the effects in this scene are yeah so i mean the effects the effects throughout this movie are really damn good in my opinion yeah um other other the than the compositing to, what's that other, yes, other yes. than the green screen compositing yeah the only time i feel like and i give that a pass the only yeah. time i feel like the effects suck are at the end but we'll get to that later um but yeah everybody's mutated tommy shows up and he's like melting and it, this this scene scared me uh more than the kids in the, in that dream sequence when mm. they're like, you know, and they scream or whatever. This scared me maybe the most because, uh, you know, he's, his face is like melting off and he's like, he did this to you, yeah. you know, and he's like screaming at him and getting all the zombies to kind of move with them to attack pr- the president and Alex. It's so terrifying because it's dark. It's low lit. Uh, the lighting is just so right. It, it it is it is such a terrifying scene, and it's so effective. And and Tommy is is so creepy. He's at his creepiest best. Uh, yeah, this scene gave me so many deep seated nightmares for such a long period of time. Now, and as an adult, I'm like, yeah, not so much, but still, it's very fucking creepy, very creepy, and very effective. Mm-hmm. Um, so Alex and the president push past everyone. They get to the back of this train car where all the zombies are, uh, and they and they get through the they get through the train car into another train car, and Tommy's in there in his Ninja Gaiden gear. <laughs> yeah, nin, Ninja Tommy. <laughs> it's Ninja Tommy with his with his sick uh, nunchucks. He's got these nunchucks that first of all they glow. They've got the you know green neon light, so when he uses them, they they fl- they look like they're you know, flashing neon green. And then the tips of them, they're all spiked out. They're like super violent looking, like ass kicker nunchucks. And, and so David Patrick Kelly is doing all of his nunchuck work, which is, you know, on a scale of one to 10, it's probably an eight, which is, yeah, it's pretty damn good, which is pretty damn good considering he, so apparently uh, the director had a martial artist like in waiting, they were they were ready to use an actual martial artist, and Tommy was originally gonna have a mask on so that you know they could obviously you know whatever uh, fake it, you right? But he was mm-hmm. like, I can do this. And when he got the role, before they even started filming, David Patrick Kelly saw this part, the scene in the, the movie and in the script, and he worked with a guy in New York, uh, a martial artist, for like five weeks to get this nunchuck shit down. And it's not perfect. Here's the thing. It's not perfect. But as an actor, like like knowing him, that he's not a martial artist, like, you know, like that he's just an actor that learned how to do this routine. It is impressive as hell. And I think it's so much more effective that they used his face and not, you know, a, a fake another guy like David Patrick Kelly is doing all of it. There is no if, ands or butts that he's doing it and like i said it's a 7.5 out of a 10 like it would not win any awards but it's because he's doing it makes it fucking awesome 
Well, I, I think I think the reason why I think it's perfect is because Tommy is a dipshit anyways, and and you show him early in the movie when he can't play fucking saxophone to save his goddamn life. So he's doing his nunchucks like he thinks he's a badass, but he's not a badass. That's that's what I was going to tie it all together with in saying how perfect it is for his character, you know, like yes. that he's not perfect it at it, but yet yet he acts like it's awesome, right? You yeah. know, and, and yeah, it kind he of is. he's so awesome. Yeah, exactly. Yep, yep, yep. And he's not. He's a douche. Yeah. He's a douche. He's a douche. And he's a, and, and he, and, and he thinks he's God because he even says that. And he's like, I learned to take control in here, you know. And, uh, yeah, no, I, it, it's, it's so much, if they had him on a mask, this would have been so hokey. Yeah. And it, it, it would have been perfect. It, like they would have gotten a person who would have done it perfectly and it would have all worked, but there's more charm here. The fact that you see David Patrick Kelly's face while he does it. Yeah. Because this is not just Tommy. This isn't Tommy's dream. This is the president's dream. It's the president's interpretation. It's Tommy doing his thing. And it's also Alex's thing too. Yeah. So maybe, through Alex's eyes, yeah. maybe this is the flawed dipshit that he sees. Or, you know? or it's just, it's not Tommy's dream. It's his, it's reality because he's really there. So yeah, it's, it's, he's not perfect. He's not a ninja. Yeah. He's not a karate man, you know, karate man yeah, bruise on the inside. Man. He's not a karate man. <laughs> <laughs> so, so at that point he's trying to go in and attack Alex, but Alex, Sorry, he's using his nunchucks and he backs the president and Alex to the back of the train car and the zombies break through the glass and start grabbing the two of them. They break free. Uh, Alex grabs Tommy and starts battling him in the train car. And then that's when Tommy says, I know what you're afraid of. And then he turns into the snake man. And that's really intense. And Alex freaks out. Uh, They get off the subway the subway train car and and now they're going into the depths of this subway and as they're going slowly deeper and deeper into the depths they they go past these two rabid dogs who have these glowing eyes that are barking at them uh, and the dogs haven't attacked them yet but they go past the dogs and then they have to like, kind of go under some uh you know electrical wires that are shocking and like sparking and they get on the electrical wires and the dogs just run after the two of them. One of the dogs gets into the electrical wire and gets electrocuted and in gets vaporized. And when this happens, I wrote down, this sounds just like the dog and the thing when it gets shot in the chest, uh, when it's being attacked by the alien, you know, the thing. Yeah. Uh, and right before, you know, Kurt Russell blasted with his shotgun, the kind of that weird moaning yeah, sound that it yeah. makes. And I'm like, Oh, that's kind of an interesting sounds just like the same Yelp. Anyways, I, I, I will just say, I love hand-drawn lightning, uh, yeah, back too. in the eighties. And apparently I don't know the person's name, but apparently there was one dude who like did all the lightning, like, you know, from the emperor's fingers and return of the Jedi to probably this as well. But like, I, I love rotoscoping light lightning. Yeah. It's so cool looking. Um, they, they, it's like a green neon. They've, they've used green neon like three times in this, yeah. in the sequence because first with the nunchucks, then with that lighting, and then they get to this kind of um, broken down destruction path where there's like a, a stream and they, they have to jump over, cross over, and it's got like green mist coming out of it, neon green mist. Yeah. 
Uh, and, and at that point, that's when uh, Tommy, as the snake man, jumps out at them. Um, it's almost like a like a gag where he just kind of comes out of the snake, uh, out of the mist. And they get away from him and they keep running past and then they run into a dead end. And there's nowhere to run, right? And at, at that point, the president's like, there's nowhere to run. And that's when Alex says, well, maybe we don't run. And uh, Alex get, grabs like a like a torch and then a bar. <laughs> the, uh, the, the torch from the, the, the movie poster. Yeah, basically, yeah. And I'm like, okay, that's that's the torch. But he doesn't have a shit-eating grin on his face like he does in the movie poster. <laughs> I know. Uh, because because on the, according to the movie poster, this is a happy-go-lucky movie. Yeah, right. Filled with fun excitement. <laughs> Filled with fun adventure. <laughs> <laughs> right. So Alex starts like they they're at the dead end and they go to confront, you know, the snake man and then the other dog that didn't get vaporized jumps out. Uh like it's going to attack, but it doesn't. And then, you know, the snake man Alex goes to attack the dog, but the snake man comes out behind him and it and bites Alex in the shoulder. Uh, and knocks Alex to the ground, and and then the snake starts going towards the president, and then you cut to, back to Alex, who looks down at his wound where the snake had bitten him, and he, he heals himself. Yeah, that like was he suddenly uh, I, got the power I, back. It's a really cool scene. It is. Moment. It's it, it. That's that's cool. I wish there was a little bit more explanation to it, but yeah, you get it. You get the gist. He he's in control yeah, can, essentially. Well, that's it's what uh, it's what Tommy said. You you control yourself yeah. in the dreams. And so from there, Alex stands up and starts calling to Tommy, and he turns into Tommy's dad mm-hmm. from the crime scene photo. Yeah, complete with, like, the, the bullet holes bullet and everything. Holes. Yeah, and he's like, you know, why'd you do it, Tommy? Why'd you do it, Tommy? And then this is great because the, the snake man turns back into, like, half snake, half Tommy, like this very it's almost like uh, evil Ed in Fright Night when he's doing the transformation of the wolf when he yeah. after he gets the stake in him like halfway he's like wolf boy. Yeah, he's like snake boy because he looks like a little boy with a snake. <laughs> he's like, daddy. Yeah, he's like, daddy? daddy. Yeah. And he's about to say he's sorry. He's like, I'm sorry. And right as, right as he says that the president shoves a steel pipe through his chest and it's so great. It's such a great sound and great effect because it looks like you just pushed a piece yeah. of metal through a lizard. It looks really f- fantastic, in my opinion. It does. And it cuts to Tommy in real life in the bed while Bob is watching, and he's, like, having a fucking heart attack. L- literally. It's a, literally yeah, having literally. a heart attack. And he's grabbing the bed, and he's like, you know, the typical. It, so, again, I go back to the Warriors when David Patrick Kelly is, is the leader of the rogues and he has this kind of whining scream where he's like, and that's what he's doing in bed. He's just like, you know, in in normal, like pleasurable ways, it's probably the normal sound he makes (laughs) in painful ways. It's the normal sound he makes. Um, It's an awesome death because he's like struggling to breathe and it's fan fucking tastic. No shocker there. No, no, it's, it's awesome. And but of course, Bob like <laughs> Bob's like, is this supposed to be happening? What, yeah, what is Bo- happening Bo- right now? <laughs> yeah, Bobby, Bobby's just like chilling. Like, what, what's going on, right? And so, right after that happens, the president wakes up, and then you cut back to Tommy, wakes up from his dream. President's okay. 
uh, Tommy's cuts back to Tommy's room. Tommy's getting checked on by Babcock. Babcock. And, and Babcock's like, he's dead. He's dead. Duh. <laughs> Bob, Bob's like, well, that's not supposed to happen. Uh, and then you cut to Alex. Alex is getting awakened by DeVries, Jane. And Alex says, it's okay. I stopped the bastard. And then Bob goes to check on the president and asks if he's all right. And as soon as he does, the pres- this is like the president's leaving his room, ready to leave. And he's like, you stay away from me. And security shows up and security's and, uh, you know, he tells security to stay because Bob's like, oh, you guys can leave. Shout out to that one guy who plays the security, the Secret Service guy on the left. He does a great job because he, he walks up fine. But then when the president says, no, you guys don't leave me alone with him. I like how that actor put his puts his hand on the butt of his gun as he yeah. like kind of waits. Like, I awesome. like that. I thought they I thought that guy like again, like. Every actor down to the, the the most minute, smallest actor. I think it's the fact that you're just surrounded by Christopher Plummer and, and Max von Sydow. Every person, everyone's acting is elevated for some for some reason. If it's just osmosis, I don't know, but everyone's acting is elevated. Yeah, everybody turns in a fantastic acting performance, and that's what makes this movie so much more enjoyable to watch if it was shitty actors you would have turned it off yeah. 20 minutes into the movie yeah um and it's great because the president's like you you know you he looks at bob and he's like you put that maniac in my dream you tried to kill to kill me and bob says and i love this because it's true he's like i wonder if you know how crazy that sounds mr president yeah. and uh and the, the president's like well, you'll never get away with this and bob's like well you can't touch me you can't touch me john and the president leaves Cut back to Alex and DeVries, and they're, like, trying to get out of the Institute as fast as they can. And a car pulls up to confront them, and security, uh, Secret Service jumps out, and they're like, you know, freeze, don't go anywhere. He ends up being the president. He thanks Alex, and Alex is like, you know, just trying to do my part, Mr. President. And Alex asks about Bob, and, uh, and, and he's like, look, Mr. President, Bob can't, you know, Bob Blair can't afford to have me alive. Mm-hmm. And the president's like, well, I'll, put, I'll assign men to you. And he's like, well, I appreciate that. But in all due respect, I need to do this on my own. Cut to the next scene. Bob is at the CIA. Or what appears to be the CIA. <laughs> he's walking to an elevator. And the elevator opens. Alex is in the elevator. Bob says, how'd you get here? And... Alex is just decide- at that point. Alex rips his literally puts his fingers on his head, rips them open, and reveals a giant snake head and bites Bob. Yeah. And before we cut to what happens next, I just want to say this is the worst uh, um, makeup effects of the entire movie because I feel like this is my personal opinion. Uh, they were supposed to do the Snake Man makeup, right? But they for whatever reason, didn't budgetary timing. And it looks terrible in my opinion. It's, it's, it's so shitty. It is like, it is just covered in gelatinous goop to, to cover up the fact that it's basically just like a green head with lines on it. It's really terrible. It's a really fucking awesome scene. This is probably one of maybe two scenes in the movie where I'm like, Oh man, because this is the final moment. Bob gets his fucking comeuppance, and they couldn't, like, the effectiveness of the effects 
don't jive with me. They don't look good. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. I I agree with you, but it did not uh, diminish the enjoyment of that scene for me. It doesn't. It doesn't totally diminish it for me because again, it's effective for what it does. But I'm just like, oh man, I just wish they, you know. I I know I know what you're saying, and I do agree. I do think it would have been more effective for the audience members if he did look like the snake monster in the same way that, you know, uh, uh, David Patrick Kelly did, you know, and he, yes, he doesn't, he does not, but it's, it's so quick that I didn't, I didn't kind of, it didn't bother me as much, but I, I think you're a hundred percent correct. I think you're a hundred percent, uh, valid in your uh, assessment of the situation. I think it could have been better, but I still enjoyed sort of how it played out. I'm, I love how it played out because from there, the alarm goes off. At Bob's home, real with quick, his wife. Bob, Bob's got kind of a hot, milfy wife, by the way. Well, I was, <laughs> yeah, I was actually gonna say, <laughs> uh, did I write that down? Yeah, I wrote that down. I wrote something else down, but I'm not gonna say what it is. It looks like I she did. has some nice hoo ha's on her too. Yes, there you go. So <laughs> the alarm goes off, and the wife wakes up, and she's like looking at the alarm. She's like, Bob, you're gonna be late. You're gonna be late for work. And she rolls Bob over, and Bob's eyes are wide open, and he is dead as a fucking doorknob <laughs> ded baby alex took him out he used his uh, psychic abilities to the best of his abilities like you know uh novotny would be very proud and that's the movie up to that point because next now you cut to the train station um mm-hmm. and jane and alex are getting on a train and and i like and- how jane's like Oh, you didn't seem like you slept well last night. And he's like, "Oh, I had to take care of some business." Like, I'm like, I, of all the stuff we liked in the movie, I didn't need that. We we uh, we know it. No. We understand. You don't need to like like have this conversation. You know, like it's really weak, actually, yeah. because she says she's like, "Oh, what happened to you last night? You look like you didn't get any sleep." And yeah. I'm like, "Actually, he looks totally normal. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't look tired at all." And he's like, "Oh, I had one hell of a dream, or something like that." It, yeah, it's weak. It's a weak scene. It is. Um, it, it, but it's, again, to button it up because she's like, why are we going to Louisville again? And oh, wait, she says, Churchill Downs, is there a racetrack there? <laughs> this is a definitely a, a scene they could have trimmed out. You, you fucking, like, she, it's almost like she wants to say, you fucking degenerate. Are, you, are we going to go gamble, you know? Yeah, because she's like this righteous scientist, right? And, and uh, he's like, look, Jane... It, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. And it takes four days to get there. And I'm going to have you to myself on a train, you know? So just like, dude, you're in any, yeah. if you weren't Dennis Quaid, this would be a sleazy movie. Yeah. Um, anyways, they get on the same train car that was in Jane's dream. And then the conductor comes up to ask for their tickets. And it's the same conductor from her dream earlier. And they do a double take looking at him. Almost like, wait, is he a dreamscaper too? Like, can he do this? Mm-hmm. And then they kind of shake their heads like, nah, right? Nah. And it's a funny moment because I'm like, that's pretty cool to allude that there's going to be other people out there, a la a sequel, if you will. Um, and they go back to, <laughs> I wrote, they go back to fucking and credits, <laughs> cheesy <laughs> horns. And, and, re- and real quick, you know, the difference uh, between, um, like, so, so deja vu is when you remember something, uh, that happens in real life and deja reve is when you have deja vu, but it's something from your dream. 
you know and so oh, I, I never knew I, so i took i took that ending more as a deja reve and not like that the conductor was a a dreamscaper but more like it was just a deja reve sort of scenario and I've, I've i've said it three times now and i'll never say it again deja reve i will say deja reve all day if you will and uh yeah i like that and and yeah that that ends up and they end out the scene by making out and then you hear the <laughs> And I'm like, what is this pornographic merry-go-round music? Because it's like, <laughs> and I'm like, this is really not working for me, folks. But they they have this cool the the the, the dreamscape effect is going as the credits are rolling, and uh, and that's the movie. That's dreamscape. There's that's about it, dude. I fucking loved this movie, man. Like, and and I say that, yes. like, like. I say that knowing that we got a funky version of it that has no that doesn't have the nudity that I, that that old sleazy C would want to see and 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 I say that knowing how much this fucking movie terrified me as a kid and and how much it still terrifies me there's still like like some pretty scary shit in this movie that that is effective even to today but bro this movie's fucking awesome man like yeah like, like it's a lot of fun it's it's fun it's pretty fast paced it's yep. it's it's a roller coaster they're dealing with big things you know here and everything but at the end of the day man there's so much so many quality people involved here the writer the director are going to go off to do big things like you know but you already have Den- Dennis Quaid is is fucking already like kind of a name but like Cape Capshaw fucking Max von Sydow Christopher Plummer this is fucking insane but who takes the cake who fucking takes the fucking cake and steals the show is David Patrick Kelly man it's I mean, I, I know he's he's your guy, and and I've always liked him too for the things that I liked him in. But he's he's definitely like more your guy. <clears throat> but I can see it, man. I can see it here. Why like you like him? He is awesome. Th- and this movie's got a lot of holes in it. It's got a lot of plot holes in it. Um, but none of them detract from the movie. Not a single one of those plot holes detract from the movie because. This movie's more concerned about the bigger picture, and the bigger picture is 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 better than than any faults of any sort of like minute faults that it has. And if you haven't seen the movie, kind of like me, I mean, I, I've seen it. Like I said, I've seen it when I was a kid. But you know, this is you know, let's just admit, this is like my first main time, like actually paying attention to it, not just being like terrified yeah. from it. And and it's it's twenty twenty, and it. Even with the bad special effects, it, it's still watchable. This movie holds up very well. It's probably because of the subject matter of dreams and everything that that the you can give the special effects a pass on. Um, but it really holds up, and it's a lot of fun. But it's scary as fuck, dude. Yeah, that and that's ultimately why I chose it because I'm like, there are decent scary PG-13 movies out there. And this is one of them. And yeah, David Patrick Kelly, I can guarantee you this will not be the last time 
we review a movie that he is featured in. Oh, I, I mean, I I hope we do the Warriors one day. But uh, that being Zach's favorite movie and Aliens being my favorite movie, we're kind of we want to do something special for both of those movies. We're not yeah. we're not quite sure what we're gonna do yet, but we're we're gonna we want to do something special. But yes, I hope we see more. Uh, I mean, at some point we're gonna do Commando. At some point, I'm sure we're gonna do The Crow. So we're gonna see more of him in the future, but. I I really like having this performance uh in my knowledge repertoire of him because it's it's subtle but it's scary as shit and he I, I will fantastic yeah. that's I just want to say he's he's fantastic in this he's he David Dennis Quaid is the star and and Kate Capshaw is beautiful and Max von Sydow and Christopher Plummer have so much gravitas but you come to this movie for David Patrick Kelly and that's that's what I'll I'll finish on. Yeah, I will say that he this this is quite possibly his second best performance that I've ever seen of him. And yeah, I'm just glad we talked about it. I'm glad we broke this movie down because it it I feel like it's a forgotten film and Hopefully this will give it a little bit more attention. And yeah, guys, look, is the Shout Factory edition uh, flawed? Yes. Would you? Would I recommend still getting it? Yeah, for the documentary and uh, you know a, a, a good print of the film. Yeah. So if you can look past, you know, the fact that they objected two scenes, whatever it it is, what it well, is. Well, and, and I, I mean, I have to chime in on that, like. This is my first time in my adult life seeing it. So, like, uh, yes, I wish the nudity and stuff was in it, but not having seen that stuff before, if this is your first time viewing it, you won't miss it, you know? No, no. And and it's fine. It's fine. You can I, – I, I'm a, I still recommend getting it um, because, you know, how Shell Factory is – one day it's on their site, and next day it's gone. Yeah. Um, and then people end up selling it for three times as much on eBay, which is ridiculous uh, because Arrow will probably get the rights to it and put it out 10 years down the line. But if you want to watch it now, I highly recommend you check it out now because it's great, and it's good. Bada bing, bada boom. Yeah, Dennis mean, Quaid at his, at his finest in the 80s. Dennis Quaid was gold. He could do no wrong. And, and you know, like uh, another just uh, accolade, if – a, a version comes out on arrow like it, that, that has the correct version. I would buy that. Like I would just buy that to have it, you know, like that's yeah, how much I enjoyed this movie. Me too. Yeah. No, I, I, this, this definitely bears repeated viewings. I saw it dozens of times as a kid and I quite possibly will watch it again in the very near future. So yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I, I bro, I loved it in, like popping it in, I was apprehensive, not because I thought it was going to be bad or anything, but because I was legit scared. Like yeah. this movie freaked me the fuck out as a kid. But watching That's what Diallo said, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, but but seeing it now with my adult eyes, I see why it freaked me out. I get why it freaked me out. This this movie has some. I don't know what genre this movie is. It's 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 horror adventure sci-fi thriller right like it's it's crazy but let me ask you this like did 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 you uh did you watch this one with diallo no we didn't get a chance to okay. watch it but okay i mean i would throw this potentially nowadays they would because of the presidential aspect they call this a political thriller right. political sci-fi mm -hmm. thriller yeah but you know what the scares still hold up 
uh, this this film perfectly captures what it feels like to be in a nightmare. Yeah. And uh, sans uh, Freddy Krueger, and they do it effectively. And I'm glad you liked it, man. I'm glad. I'm glad I chose a a, a, a fun one for us. It, Can't wait for the next one. It was definitely more fun than Defcon Four. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all layered. It's a Come see, come saw. Come see, come saw. Yeah. But no, dude, I, I am too. Um, I'm, I'm glad that I have this bookend to a movie that really did affect my childhood. It, it really, really did. And, and you know, like maybe, maybe it's because I didn't see it that much that I don't talk about it a lot. But every time I walked past the, the you know, the poster, I was always like, oh, you're, you, you, you are a bastard, you know, uh, shaking my it, finger at, at Dreamscape. And, and but, it's mostly because of David Patrick Kelly. It is, it is, and his, it's his performance. He is yep. fantastic. So yeah, I highly recommend this movie. Um, the Shot Factory is flawed, as I, as I now understand, but... If it's the only version that exists, I very much recommend getting it. Um, I recommend it if you're a fan, uh, although I'm sure if you are a fan, you probably are pissed off that it's not the original cut. Um, but still, I very much enjoyed that hour-long documentary. I watched the whole thing. I was it was it's very technical. They get into a lot of stuff, and I'm like, wow, that's you know they pretty much talk to everybody except for the the actors, which is pretty awesome. Uh, there are yeah. a couple of documentaries on there. I just watched kind of the first one, but yeah. I, I recommend it. I recommend watching this movie. I recommend owning this movie. Uh, I recommend all of the above. It's a it's a fun fucking movie. And uh, thank you, Zach. Thank you for, I don't know, like clearing this out of my brain. Like, like you know, like just, just getting this, the, the, the memory of the fear of this out of my brain. And now I have the, now I have the, the proper, like movie in my head and not just like, you know, cherry picked scariness of it, you know? So I'm glad I know it now. I'm glad I, 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 I saw it. I'm glad I actually have the proper version in my head. I don't say that for the sex scenes. I mean my own version with, with like the fear and everything. So thanks buddy. My pleasure. It was fun. My pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Hey, uh, Corey, where can uh, where can we find you in the internet worlds? Oh, where can we find me? Well, if you guys like Seinfeld, then you can find me talking to our pal Adam every week on Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We uh, break down and review uh, every single episode of Seinfeld, kind of like what we do here on Podcast After Dark. We scene by scene, talk about it, break it down, and uh, have you know yucks and laughs and everything. And we are about halfway through season five which means we are halfway through the series so i'm guessing we have about another year and a half of producing content and then i guess we'll 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 figure out what uh, series to do next but um we're having a good time and i I gotta admit uh watching a you know a a tv show that that i'd seen from beginning to end the first time but most of my experience has been through syndication it's it's fun to actually see things evolve as as we go through them so it's it's a it's a wholly unique experience for me to do like a, a full series 
after show rewatch. And uh, it's it's really cool. I got to admit, I'm having a, a fun time doing it with Adam. So that's awesome. Yeah. So ch- check that out. If you guys like Seinfeld, that's where I'm at. And uh, Zachy Poo, where can we find you out there? Well, besides the illustrious podcasting after dark, uh, you can find me on two dollar late fee, uh, two dollar late fee dot com. It's a dive into 80s nostalgia. We pick a movie and then a song from that movie. And then we talk about pop culture moments from the year that movie came out. Um, And we also interview actors, musicians, directors from that time. Uh, Specifically, we've interviewed Eric Roberts. We've interviewed from Best of the Best, for example, Diane Franklin, um, Better Off Dead. We have an up by the time this interview, by the time this episode comes out, uh, we will have an interview with Andre Gower. Mm. The uh, Sean from Monster Squad mm-hmm. uh, is joining us for our Halloween themed episode, and so we got a little bit of everything. Uh, we got an upcoming interview with one of the Wolverines from Red Dawn. Mm. Um, Wolverines, Darren, Darren Dalton. Uh, who is also a Soch is, from the Outsiders? Is he? Uh, is he the one that dies on the tank? Uh, on the the turret of the tank? He's the mayor's son. Ah, uh, so, gotcha. Okay. Uh, yep, I won't yep. give too much away, but he's not. He's got a twist. Oh in yeah. His character. Oh yeah. I, I know. So, yeah. I know and, uh, exactly the character you're talking about. Yep. Yeah, he's good. He's cool. Yeah. Uh, like we we interview people from the '80s that were prolific, and you know what they're doing now. Uh, $2LateFeed.com. Yes. That's, that's where you can find me. That's right. And, uh, and, and, you know, s- and speaking of interviews, um, this month, by the time you're hearing this, our interview with Tom Noonan will drop on Patreon. We had a good yes. time talking to the old Noon. We had, uh, we had a Noon interview with Noonan. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We, yeah. Tom Noonan, who is, is, if you know him from Manhunter, as I know and love him from, he sounds just like Francis Dolleride. Uh, it's kind of creepy at times because, <laughs> I felt like he was going to reach his hand through the phone and slice our throats. Uh, um, of course, I know him dude. as Kane from RoboCop 2. Unfortunately, RoboCop 2 gave him the eye twitches, and we didn't get to talk about that movie too much. But we talked about some fantastic stuff from, from his past and everything. It oh, was a, a lot of fun. Crazy character. Crazy <laughs> yeah. character. It was yeah. it was one of the more interesting interviews that we've done. <laughs> yeah, that was the one we ended it with, and we were both were like, "God damn, that was intense." So, <laughs> that was intense. Uh, That's the word yes. for it. Yeah, he was in Heat. He was in Monster Squad. You know, you know him from everything. Yep. Anyways, yeah, it's a great interview. Uh, hope you guys check it out. If you like what you're listening to on our free feed, consider checking us out on our Patreon because you know. Uh, the money that you spend to go to the Patreon goes directly to us providing more content for you. Yeah. So it's not like we're just pocketing it and going out and buying Blu-rays. <laughs> we do that with other money. We do. Uh, we, I do that with credit <laughs> that I'll never yes. pay back. <laughs> but the money that you provide th- for Patreon actually goes to paying for the studio fees mm-hmm. that I, that I have to book at real voice LA. Uh, it goes to the content that we put out on our regular feeds, Ser- server like, costs. It's all that stuff adds up, yep. and all this stuff adds up. And you know, Corey and I both 
uh, love what we do and we want to keep doing it more and more often and more content, content, content. So the Helping one, us out the, actually does that. The one thing that I hear the most on our Instagram page, on social media, is that people wish we were weekly. And I will say on our Patreon page, I have a, a, like a thing. I don't know what it's called a goal. I set a goal and we'll go weekly if we hit that goal. And that is a thousand dollars a month. So why is that matter? It, it's the time and effort we have to, we have to edit these episodes ourselves. We yeah. have to do, we do everything ourselves personally, guys. I want to hire an editor. That's that is my goal. If we can hire if we can make enough to hire an editor, we can produce insane amount of content. We just I, I just I'm drowning in editing. So is Zach. Zach's doing editing himself. Uh, everyone in our network is doing their own editing and everything. So the Patreon is the way to kind of support the best way to support the show. And we, we do have more content that we are producing at the moment that you guys and gals will hear soon. And, uh, some of it will be Patreon exclusive. Some of it will go on the free feed. Some of it will kind of go both, you know, but, um, if you like what we're doing, please consider, you know, spending the money to support the show because it really, really does go right back into the content that we produce. But all that being said, we do understand that right now the world that we live in is on the precipice of some huge shit and the economy might take a dive. It's not doing great right now. And people, you know, people are, are, are hurting for money. We totally, totally, totally get that. A free way to help the show, an absolute free way, is to leave us a five-star review specifically on Apple Podcasts because that's still kind of the main podcatcher. So if you want to help us out, just leave us a five-star review with a nice little write-up, a little couple sentences. That's it. You know, give us a little write-up and everything. And that and, and that goes huge and and to helping like you know getting new listeners in front of the show and whatnot. So, but honestly, we we truly do appreciate every single one of our patrons everybody who supports the show both you know online spreading the word um you know commenting on our posts uh you know leaving the five star reviews uh you know uh, financially supporting the show through through patreon every avenue I, i'm just blown away by the love and support that we we get online it's utterly amazing keep it going keep it flowing we love y'all <laughs> that's right and as we always say, we'll catch you on the dark side. Join the Podcasting After Dark Patreon community to unlock exclusive monthly content like cast interviews and a fan feedback show. Plus, you get every regular episode of Podcasting After Dark completely ad-free. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us five stars on Apple Podcasts and by recommending us to your friends. Finally, make sure you follow us on Reddit, Instagram, and Facebook for news and updates about future episodes. Just search for Podcasting After Dark. Hello everybody, I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. 
we are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia.